0: save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an ac pro recharge kit today be a pro with ac pro this A's cast download is brought to you by link soul go to linksoul.com and by nest bedding love where you sleep go to nestbedding.com
1: this is A's cast live your comprehensive look at the oakland athletics
2: the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And
1: 29 other MLB clubs.
2: Ramirez with a
0: drive to deep right, away back, go Go hey! it's a bomb out there by the Rocks.
3: And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy
2: end blast.
0: All rise,
2: here comes the
1: judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From humidors, to spin rates, to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend.
0: I want to start today's show out. With what happened yesterday in the post-game show, because I think it was absolutely ridiculous. Yes, have we ever seen that before in franchise history? Nope. Could the narrative? It's the young guys, which we we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna see about the young guys. Jonathan Mayo from MLB Pipeline is going to join us here at two thirty. Uh, The great Chip Carey, one of the best play-by-play guys from the Carey family. Grandfather, Harry Carey. Hey! Hey! Skip Carey was his father all those years with the Braves. He used to be with the Braves. He's now the Cardinals. He's going to join us at 3.30. But I can't wait. We're going to settle this. Jonathan Mayo, what is young? Because we're still trying to sell 24, 25 as young. I don't know if modern-day professional sports, 25 and 24 is really young. But yesterday, the screw-up was not young. Trevor Mays 33, Kirby Snead 28. Yeah, Nick Allen with the boot there, but the pitching the steamrolled it. You walked four guys in the ninth, inning. That wasn't for was that from anybody who was 17 years old? Uh no. No. Okay. So hard to hard to pin it on that cuz now everybody wants to pin everything like like we have a bunch of children playing. All right. But all of a sudden there's outrage or there was like, "Oh!" disappointment and scoffing and i cannot believe my whole point in the post game is welcome to the party all right what 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 drove me nuts is i've been doing this all year long i gotta come out i mean they've lost 85 games i'm coming on after every one of these losses how many games have i missed five six something like
2: that yeah it's not many
0: I, I, I have been on after at least 78, 79 losses, and now you're disappointed. That was my whole point. Oh, now you're going to be critical. Because every single time, whether I talk to our broadcasters, talk to the callers, I'm watching NBC, or when I'm at NBC, everybody's like, well, you know, excuses. Now, after 85 losses, you're going to be upset. Now you're going to join that party. And that's why I went the opposite route yesterday. I went the opposite route. You want to now, in August, have disgust? You now, in August, want to have disappointment? Disappointment? Where the hell you been for all these months? Don't come standing on my wall when you haven't been here. You've been making every excuse in the book when some people have been calling it like it is. So you know what? I was just so I I called it like it is again yesterday. How is it? Listen, Geloff's incredible. Geloff is showing you that. He has the ability, potential ability, to be the type of player that changes games. Like, we can get his stats and we can get all that kind of stuff, but when you watch Geloff, he affects the game. He affects it offensively. He affects it on the bases. He can affect it defensively. This kid is special. And it's not a one-trick pony. I'll give you a one-trick pony. Rooker. Rooker was a one-trick pony for that month, okay? But Rooker's not good defensively. Rooker's not good at running the bases. And Rooker just found it for that month. And we got all excited, but you had to go like, we know who the player really is, and he's turned back into the player he really is. Geloff's different. Geloff has the ability to hit the ball all over the field. This is something that I'm sure he had hitting lessons. I should, but, but the reality is certain guys who are special, this is something they've been doing for a long time. It's like when people talk about Freddie Freeman all the time. He's got the ability, right? You remember Manny Ramirez? And I know Manny, we think of PD. But Manny Ramirez is one of the greatest right-handed hitters of all time because Manny sprayed it everywhere. Now, I'm not saying – I'm not making a comparison. I'm just saying, guys – that no matter where you pitch it, they can hit it. You pitch it up, you pitch it down, you pitch it out, you pitch it in. I can hit you all over the ballpark. I can go foul pole to foul pole. That's what we should be concentrating on. Because that's the only thing that matters. Because as I said yesterday in the postgame show, the majority of these guys are not going to be here. There's no reason when you really think about it, at this point, 85 losses into the season – to really care what a lot of these guys who are not a part of the future. Yeah, I want to see Lawrence Butler. And there was a question, would he go down after Tony Kemp came back? Nope, he's still here. I want to see Langoliers. Can he get better? I've told you for a while, I, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but I was one of the early people to say, Ruiz is not a center fielder. Like you guys can make your excuses but where is he today? Left field. Left field. He's in left field. But I want to see how Ruiz plays. I want to see how Bliday plays. I that, that's what matters. To now, like, take one game because it's a historical thing and to now that we're all going to be just, I cannot believe this happened. Like, really? You cannot believe it happened? Like, what about Trevor May and Kirby Sneed makes you think, who, by the way, both these players are not long-term A's. And that's cruel. I hate to say that, but it's just a reality. You have to, if you're going to look at this from a baseball standpoint, so many of these guys are not going to be here. They're not a part of the future. Certainly not going to be here in 2028. That's another thing that it's tough to talk about, but it is a reality. You start thinking about 2028. Who could be here? And it's not going to be a 33-year-old reliever or a 28-year-old left-hander. So after I just, I was not going to come on. I've come on plenty of nights upset about how things have happened. But yesterday I was like, who are we kidding? I'm not gonna have a bunch of people now pile on in mid August when we've been doing this starting in March, by the way. Season started in March. Starts in March next year, too. Right? March, late March, April, May, June, July. That's a lot of ball games. But now in mid September you're gonna go mid September you're gonna show up. August. I mean, August, <laughs> now you're going to, oh, my God. Save it. What matters right now is who is a part. Is Soderstrom going to be the beast we think he can be? We'll ask Jonathan Mayo. Playing first today, by the way. Yeah. Well, gee, back-to-back games playing first. Isn't that something we called for? Instead of D-H-E and catching. By the way, uh, oh, that's right. No, he caught yesterday, right? Yeah. Uh, did you see him in the ninth inning? Can't catch the ball. I saw
2: it was a pass ball. Right. I read, I, I was following the there was game There was a pass day.
0: ball and other issues. Oh, he shouldn't be catching. This is where he should be. And when Ryan Nota comes back, we'll have that discussion. I don't know when Nota's going to come back, but when Ryan Nota comes back, we'll have that discussion.
2: You mentioned Lawrence Butler, and you want to see him play more. Here he yeah. already has a defensive run saved, and he's played in uh, twenty-four and two-thirds innings out there in the outfield. Give me Ruiz's defensive run saved.
0: Do I have to? Oh, he's only been playing center field for two years. Put it this way. If your main organization deemed, eh, you can't play middle of the infield. We're going to move you to outfield. And now two years later, you're deeming, eh, I'm not so sure about it either. You got problems.
2: um, Overall, um, SD in the outfield is um,
0: uh, minus 17. Where is he in ba- – and, and remember now, he's been out with the shoulder. Where is he in all of baseball if he's minus 17? Uh, let me see if I can do that on here. I, I don't mean, if- how many people are that low? <clears throat> he's,
2: uh, he's the worst by a wide margin. So, According to the Fielding Bible, um, FieldingBible.com.
0: So, a couple months ago, did I not mention that? I don't think he's the center fielder. This is not work. Correct, yes. And I got told, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's two years in, he's working on it. <laughs> well, I've come to find out people in the front office are starting to think like me. Yeah, I may not be a scout. Yeah, I may, I may not played Major League Baseball. But I think I got a pretty decent eye about talent. I've been watching the game long enough. I've worked in professional sports, in the NFL, in the NBA. I've watched professional athletes. You see what the good ones look like. And Ruiz... Not a center fielder, and then all of a sudden you go to the metrics. He's the worst in baseball, but Ruiz has got to play because Ruiz can be a game changer. I'm not throwing Ruiz away at all. That's not what I'm saying. You just all we. Your job as a coaching staff and a front office in any sport is to find the best role for your players. That's your job. How do you help the players maximize their abilities? and help you win. And that's not going to be center field for Ruiz. And you clearly have seen right out of the gate Blades better in center field, and now you're going to see Butler's better in center field. Why? And it's not Ruiz's fault cuz Ruiz is an infielder. You try to make something work, you try to, sh- you know, you try to put that square into the round hole. Very rarely does it work. It, I mean, there's 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 not a whole lot of Robin Younts out there who go from shortstop to center field. Doesn't happen. It's called an outlier. Outliers. There's always outliers, but you really look at the norms. But that's okay. Ruiz is a super talented guy. Find somewhere else. That's why I've said when we were struggling, when you're putting old guys in the infield, it's like put a second baseman's glove on him. See what he's got. Was he really that bad in the Padres system? I mean, C.J. Abrams, you just saw him over the weekend for the Nationals, part of the Soto trade. He's one of the reasons why Ruiz got bumped to the outfield because this kid's a legit shortstop prospect. And now he's, you know, Washington's got to think they got a pretty good shortstop for years to come. Zach Geloff is the first guy in the notes. I want to show you guys that. The highlighted is Geloff. That's the number one thing in MLB Network's notes today is Zach Geloff. He is the story right now. Getting us out of the darkness and into the light is the story right now. Who is going to be here years from now? That is the story right now. It's not, you want to hold on to older players, go right ahead. I'm not going to tell you how to be a fan. You can be a fan, and you can root, and you can love it, you can hate it, you can do however you want to experience it, go right ahead. I'm just telling you, we talk about and we worry about people who really, for the long term, and this is going to be very harsh, but for the long-term process of this organization, we worry about guys who are irrelevant, history we are not gonna be here three four or five years from now looking back on some of the players who are on this team we may use them for Immaculate Grid fair but we're not gonna we're not gonna be like oh remember you know this is gonna go down as one of the worst if not the worst seasons in a's history we are not going to reference this year other than guys like Zach geloff Tyler Soderstrom hopefully ruiz hopefully Bleday. why do i say remember i don't think they're young what's ruiz 25 24 i think he turns 25 this year though yeah he's turned 25 this dude old SD ruiz has played in a boatload of professional games go look at his minor leagues he has played in a lot of games he is not a kid ruiz turns 25 and actually he turns 25 in february so next year okay before start next year he's 25 i mean is that young Blade's already 25, right? Yep. These guys are Actually, not that Bla- young.
2: I think Bleday, he might have just turned 26. Let me double check. Blade is 20. He'll be 26 in November.
0: 26. Seth Brown is 31 years old.
2: 32.
0: He will it be 32 in what year? What? November?
2: Hold on. Seth Brown will be 32 in July of now. He just turned 31.
0: Okay. So next season he's 32. I'm telling you. Focus, we need to focus. I'll still rant and rave after games. That's my job. Talk about what's going on day to day with the games. I just yesterday was not going to rant and rave cuz now everybody else is. Now they've like, you know, you know when you've been throwing the party and it's been a great party and then all of a sudden all these people want to come to the party and you're like, "No. Stop. Get out." Fake outrage. Geloff, though, I thought this was from one of our interns. Which one was this? Uh, It was Marcus. Marcus put out there, the last two 23-year-olds, eight home runs, 13 RBIs, six stolen bases in a 25-game span. Of course, Geloff, Barry Bonds, 1987. Young Barry,
2: before Super Barry. Skinny
0: Barry. Geloff, first player since 1900 with at least eight home runs and six stolen bases and the first 25 career games. That just basically means they have no clue who did it before 1900, or they'd have to really go back and research it. I think you can look that up, and they probably they probably wanted to do modern era. Yeah, because it's like this guy with the Boston Crabs, or they always have these funky names. Yeah, think about that. No player since 1900 has done this. He's the fourth A's rookie, two home runs, four hits in a game since the club moved to Oakland in 68. Maguire, Brocious, and Troy Neal. Wow. he's
2: is uh, he's, he eight home runs. He's six away from tying Scott Spezio's record for A's
0: rookie, second baseman of 14. Could easily do that. Could easily do it. Now, to be fair, we have said this. Home runs and strikeouts aren't, aren't as big of a deal as they used to be. Because everybody hits them. Kay? everybody strikes out. Everybody strikes out, everybody hits home runs. I did a thing yesterday, I did a little research and I ended up getting getting rid of my research today I had to restart my computer. But in the third inning yesterday, I did a thing about home runs because they did a article on Cbsports.com about how the Braves could pass the bomba squad, Ooh. 2019, your Minnesota Twins. 307. They hit three.
2: Oh, sorry. I thought you were saying
0: recently. I You're trying to – Are we married? You're trying <laughs> to finish my sentence? Um, the Bomba Squad. Everybody – So, basically, the record for most home runs in a season, and then all the teams below it are all 2019. The A's. We hit 257 that year. Yeah. The top – 22 top 22 years of hitting home runs for teams basically all modern day teams and a lot of them are from the last couple of years so everybody's hitting home runs by the way the top 22 years for teams hitting home runs you probably you you didn't hear this alex jensen i did it for alex he didn't get it so if you said teams have hit the most home runs in a single season we can't do top 20 because there's teams that are tied, so it's the top 22. What do they all have in common? None of them won the World Series. None of them have ever won the World Series. Alex didn't know that?
4: Nope.
0: See, this isn't Stockton playing Lake Elsinore. And then Vance, <laughs> of course, is going to disagree with anything. Oh, yeah, well, I'll call you guys in November uh, when the break. Okay, we'll see. We'll see. No one – No, I mean – How Strider do yesterday, by the, the way? The last team – I'm going to kind of guess this. This is a guesstimation. The last team to lead the league in home runs and win the World Series, I believe, is the 09 Yankees, which 2009 is a long time ago. I mean, we can.
2: Uh, Let's see. League leaders, MLB. Let's do team.
0: Just give me a second. I'll, I'll get it. Well, this is really great programming. You're going down a rabbit hole, and we now all have to wait for your research skills. Or the internet, either one. Uh, Yankees did lead. Uh, two forty four, it looks like. So I'm pretty sure the Yankees are the last team to lead the league in dingers and win the World Series. Well, it wasn't
2: they the Giants team, so you can take those out.
0: I, I used the Giants in my third anything. thing. I'm like, they didn't hit any home runs, and they won three World Series. So you can't say... So back to Geloff. Home runs are great, but everybody's hitting home runs. The thing that makes players great players is how they affect the game day in and day out. We use statistics all the time. By the way, when's our next guest? Uh, 3.30. Okay. Chip Carey. We use statistics all the time, right? And that's great. But... Statistics are just numbers that have been gathered over time, right? That's not how our game is actually played. Our game is a game that's played. It's 162 different days. You play 162 games. So Brent Rooker is a great example. Brent Rooker was on fire to start the year. He was incredible. Brent Rooker in this month is hitting what? One thirty something? Yeah, I, thought, I haven't done the I
2: haven't done the Brent Rooker watch lately, but Brent Rooker. Are you
0: gonna go I,
2: mean, I could try to get it?
0: Just go to MLB.com, the Brent Rooker MLB.com. Go to MLB.com. It's a fast uh, way to uh, do it. I can do it right here. I'm already on the game log. Give me for, the month.
2: Month of August. For the
0: month of August, he's hitting one thirty what?
2: Month of August, Brent Rooker is hitting. It's loading. Still loading. Uh, He is hitting 129.
0: Excuse me. I'm sorry. Brent Rooker is hitting 129 in August.
2: Two of those four hits are
0: home runs. He's hitting 129 in August. But people are going to sit here, and they're going to say they're going to take – the average of the entire year, and they're going to say, Brent Rooker, well, you know, in the end, he's got 19 home runs. He's got a 786 OPS. So you'll look at that and go, eh, that's not that bad, even though it's 237. Folks, Brent Rooker is hitting 129 this month. He's not helping you on a day-to-day basis. That's my whole point about these numbers, right? We can give numbers, oh, this guy – how do you help me every day that's what made Ricky Henderson so great yes he has over a hundred war yes he's got the most stolen bases the run but Ricky touched home plate more than anybody else on a consistent basis Ricky affected the game every day he was walking he was stealing bases he was scoring runs he was a good outfielder there's all these different ways Ricky Henderson Affected the game. Take a guy like Pete Rose. You know how many hits Pete Rose had? You know how many runs Pete Rose scored? Pete Rose's numbers are amazing. Why? Because he was always doing something. That's the point. These games are all individual games. We lump all these guys' stats in and we go, hey, look how great the player is. I I get that. But in the end, what's important is winning games on a daily basis. How do you affect the game? every day in basketball we say how do you affect the stat sheet how do you fill up the stat sheet what are your points what are your rebounds what are your assists all these different things that they look at that if you looked at like a basketball zach geloff fills up the stat sheet he's helping the a's win scratch that when they do win but he's gonna help the a's win because he he does a lot of different things well He's good. If I went all cliche, he's a baseball player. Not not a professional, just a baseball player. When you say a guy's a baseball player, what you're really saying is you just don't know how to articulate it. What what, what you're really saying is this guy plays the entire game, right? When you see a guy in basketball who can shoot, he can pass, he can rebound, he can defend, he can do it all, right? He, He affects the entire game. Well, that's kind of what Zach Geloff can do, and obviously we're more of an individual sport, but Zach Geloff has the ability to help you with his bat, his legs. We're seeing that he can play defense. He's super athletic. That's special. And to listen to Jonathan Mayo go, well, you know, we didn't see this, and we don't know how good Zach Geloff is going to be, but I can only go off what he's done so far, and what he's done so far has proven he can play at this level. And he can, he's competent. He can play at this level. Like, legitimately, you could take Zach Geloff and put him on any team, and he can play. I, I, I don't know who I can say that about on our team. Zach Geloff right now, you want to dump him in the Bronx, you want to dump him in Kansas City, South Florida, Texas, Pacific Northwest, you could dump Zach Geloff on any team, and he could play. Well, Yankees could definitely use his bat. I'm just the Yan- I mean, if the Yankees didn't have a second baseman, and you said, "Would you take Zach Geloff as a second baseman?" From what you've seen, they go, "Hell yes, I'd take him."
2: This was in our this was in our um, game notes from Mike Selleck. Uh, Galliff is one of just four players in the majors with eight eight or more homers and six or more stolen bases. Can you
0: guess any of the other three? That right now, yeah, that has eight home runs and six stolen bases. Eight or more and six or more steals. Players or second baseman? Players.
2: You mean like Acuna? Uh,
0: Yeah, he doesn't have Acuna on here, so. I think Acuna has more home runs. He is, yeah. Oh, boy. Look at the flustered look. Look at the flustered look. I'm just,
2: I'm pulling. (laughs) I mean, I'm just pulling because I didn't. (laughs)
0: Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Cody if oh, Cody the, doesn't like to be wrong. I just want to let people know. Cody does not like to be wrong. I know why cuz I I missed the first part
2: of it. In the in the last month since his debut, oh, only four players.
0: was okay. Let's say Acuña's got 50 something bags yeah. and
2: in the last month since his debut, he's just one of four players in the majors with eight or more homers and six or more steals. Can you name any one of, it's actually not Acuña. <laughs> the list would be Shohei Otani. Uh, Kyle Tucker of the Astros and your guy Cody Bellinger.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> My Cubs. Bellinger, I saw going say, Bellinger's
0: in three thirty. My Cubs. Yeah. I I'm on I'm on I'm on team. Go Cubs! Isn't that their thing? Go, go Cubs, Cubs! Go! go yeah. I I'm on team Cub. I'm so I and the only reason why I'm on team Cubs is that they said you know what the hell let's go with it. Even though Strowman was terrible down the – he's hurt now, what, hip? But Strowman was terrible in July. But they're like, oh, you're going to trade Stroman. I'm Team Cubs. They're being carried by a guy – We picked We pick nationally. One year we picked the Mets. And we have the – who was – one of Phillies, us picked the Phillies last year. I, it was not me. Oh, that's right. It wouldn't be. It. Maybe it was me. I'm Team Cubs this year. I'm going Cubs. I pick
2: the same National League team every year, and no, it's not the Pirates because they're never in it. I always pick Milwaukee, and I'm sticking with Milwaukee.
0: It's – it's – it's refreshing when someone goes, says, you know what, we're going to stick this thing out, Let, let's play it out. It makes for a great summer, right? You don't think they're having a great summer in Chicago right now?
2: Yeah, actually, your team was the Diamondbacks. That was my preseason. Oh, uh, because that's not summer looking At the trading right
0: deadline, I adopted. I, I said I adopted. That's no, yeah, true, yeah. I, ado- I brought them in. But, yeah, I, I'm I'm happy for the Cubs, right? That's that story. Are they a perfect team? No. I mean, this is part of the entertainment business, right? We want to be entertained. It's like with our ball club. I want to be entertained. Ge- Geloff, Gelof is entertaining me. Lawrence Butler. Now, Jonathan Mayo almost had a heart attack when I mentioned Jose Canseco. <laughs> but, 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 but Lawrence Butler. Are you telling me you don't? Did, did that ball he ripped? I, and by the way, I, I Soderstrom's deep, Soderstrom's base running. I had a question about it on that double, and then yesterday, boy, they have the. I, I wish every team had what the Nationals have. They had the eye in the sky, right? We started getting the replays from up top. Soderstrom was on first base. Where are we here? Soderstrom hits the double. Blade hits the base hit into right field. So you're a runner on second base. Now, see, this is the stuff we don't see. And this is why play-by-play, guys, I questioned Soderstrom the day before. Play-by-play, guys, follow the ball. This was the eye in the sky. Do you know when you're on second base and you're leading off, left-handed hitter at the plate, and the left-handed hitter hits a ground ball to the right side, what do you do? Go third. You sure about that? I mean, you you would think that that would be the move. Are you one hundred? I just want to make sure because I I've been pointing out a lot of stuff, and everybody went. Well, are
2: you sure? I'm going to go with my my eye test. Yes.
0: Do you remember when uh, uh, um, Jordan Diaz was on second base and the ground ball to his right, and I I was like, uh, and then it was defended after in the post game show it was ridiculous, and then everybody came on and said, oh yeah, that was a big blunder. They watched film on it after.
2: Oh, the ball that hits a short right was a shorter third. It remember. was to his right. He's yeah.
0: leading off second base. He's trying to put on his handbag, his hand uh, uh, guard, and the ground ball's to his right. He kind of takes off, and then he's at. It's like, dude, you freeze on a ground ball to your right. You don't. So, we're all going to agree you're a runner on second. Left-handed hitter, at when the ball is being released, you take a couple hops closer to third, ball's hit to the right. What do you do? You go to third. Ah, eye in the sky showed us, and you can go back. I tape the game. I tape every game. I'll show you. It's not what Tyler Soderstrom did. Tyler Soderstrom froze and went back movement to second. Now, what does that do? That takes all your momentum, even that jerk back towards the second. Ball now is a base hit in between first and second, your momentum took you back to second. So now i got to reverse my momentum, and now I run to third. By the time I run to third, I'm just rounding third, and the ball's in the outfield. So people would defend, oh, yeah, no, yeah, he's young. No, 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 there's no such thing. You're on second base, ball's hit to the right side, you immediately beeline to third. You should be rounding third base, scoring, if not having to be held up. You shouldn't just be trotting into third and a base hit to right field. That means he didn't read it. So that question's the day before, when Butler hits the ball off the wall, why is he just rounding into third? That ball was beelined off the wall as soon as Butler hits it you don't have to be fast to be a good base runner. How about the guy that they just selected into the baseball hall of fame? Scott Rowland was not fast. He was a big man, but he was smart, took great reads, and he's known as a good base base runner. What's the, uh, the the metric
2: they use now base runner base running runs or whatever? Like Arizona's really good at it. I think Baltimore's really good at it. Teams that are, are competitive.
0: I mean Lawrence Butler, it's the ball off the wall and you're just trying you're the crack of the bat, you're beelining. Ball's hitting the wall. You should be rounding second. Now the ball's coming back. It's in between the outfielders. They're both going to the ball. You should be rounding second, halfway to third. By the time you're starting to come around third, they're picking the ball up and they're throwing home. You should be rounding third. Worst case scenario, Eric is holding him up. No, no, he was just trotting into third as they're getting the ball. That's like he's not reading it. I mean, I'm not – I'm not here to be worried really about Tyler's base running all that much right now, but that's these little things add up in games, right? You notice things. That extra run could kind have of helped out yesterday. All these extra runs, all these little runs that the A's screw up with, it affects them. But Tyler is somebody, and LB may be that guy. I mean, Butler may be that guy. And tonight, I love it. Center field. Lawrence Butler, you're playing center field. Yesterday. Playing center field. Let's see it. Let's see it. This is what August is, right? You got August and you got September. Let him play. Please Jordan Diaz at third. Uh, Yes. Jordan Diaz, you're playing third. Is he Brooks Robinson? No. But you know what? Let him play. Let's see. Who's playing short tonight? Nick Allen. Okay. It's tough that he booted that ball, but, you know, got to learn from it.
2: Still, one of the best, better
0: defenders in baseball when it comes to defensive run saved or shortstops. I'm pretty sure. I mean, that's why I wish Noda was back. So you'd have this infield of Diaz, Allen, um, Geloff, and Noda. Where you know how, what? What's Noda defensive run saved? Uh, Nick Allen is a positive player. He's
2: in the he's in the top. Been, he's in the middle in baseball. Uh, where Noda? Yeah. Noda is. Let's go to ace because he's not coming up on the all-team leaderboard. The best first base in defense around saves-wise is somehow it's Carlos Santana and then Matt Olson. Uh, first base, Ryan Noda is actually just zero. So he's not hurting you or helping you. Right. He's just right there.
0: I like Noda at first. That's why I'd like to see all these guys together. Shooty Babbitt, are you there?
4: Yes, I'm here.
0: So I can talk about you as a TV star, one of the great scouts of all time, and a former A's infielder and a Bay Area and East Bay kid?
4: You can let it rip. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you doing today, sir?
0: I am uh, – I, 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 the last couple games have been rough. I mean, no doubt about it, the last couple games. You've been covering it um, from your scout's eye. When you see the way these games have played out and you're watching players, you're evaluating players, just what have you seen the last few games?
4: I've seen a lot to get excited about, Townie. Um, All the young talent, the new A's, if you will, um, has been true to the advertisement. Um, I've seen some immaturity. I've seen some mental lapses. I've seen some... Kids perhaps maybe pressing a little bit, trying to be um, a little more than what they should be at this time. And I see some young kids forced in some situations where they're being under the big lights and the, and the big microscope and every mistake that they make um, it is uh, magnified. And for the simple reason, man, ain't no league bigger than this one, man. Uh, the best players in the world, Um, playing this league and people are playing for some people are playing for their careers, their lives, their jobs, their livelihoods, you name it. And if you're not ready, if you're not prepared, if you don't go out and challenge for every pitch, for every out, for all 27 of them, you can't get happy at 26. You can't be thinking about tomorrow, um, today. Uh, You're going to get exposed in, when you have a group of kids who are probably here a little earlier than they probably should be all at once, uh, and you're playing get some guys that are 30 years old or more experienced and uh, playing for a whole lot more than what these kids even understand what they're playing for other than finding out what it's like to be major league players, you're seeing, you know, what typically is going to happen after you unfold everything.
0: You know what's interesting about that is we now know front offices don't want to pay people once they're in their 30s. We know that we consider 26 the start of your prime. I know I can look at Soderstrom at 21, now Butler, Geloffs 23, but we've we've had a lot of guys that are 24, 25 that people were calling young. And you're almost in your prime. So what is the age? Do you as a scout, do you look at the age when you determine when a guy's young, when a guy's not young? Because there really is this blurred kind of definition of young, especially since if we're all going to consider 26,
4: the start of your prime. Tony, I then that's one of the best questions that have been asked all year. And I'm still trying to decipher that myself, basically because of what has happened since 2019. Uh, there are some guys that missed a whole year. There's some guys who missed two years. One year they missed, and then the second year they missed down in a level that they probably shouldn't have been in. Um, guys who were playing in the complex league, if you will, which is basically BP and ground balls for a couple hours and take it to the house um, and not against competition. Uh, I'm seeing guys that are 25 and 26 years old that are in double-A and are prospects. And typically that time in their career, have, they haven't knocked on the door. Um, uh, they're working like you and I uh, in a real job and raising family and having children. But because of those things, uh, because of a lot of kids getting rushed and they're not ready and you need a pipeline, a guys that experienced, that are more smarter than maybe they're skilled. Um, that can come up and be that four A player that they used to talk about as pretty much a up and down type player now. Until one of those guys mature into an everyday uh, major leaker, because let's face it. And I know I'm an old prude. I'm gonna be roadkill soon. The game is running me over so fast. I come can't on, man! But there was a well. What I'm you're saying, one of the greats. One or two prospects. One of the two prospects would come up per year. Um, and you look at St. Louis where uh, Jordan Walker is a six-four, two hundred 240, first, first uh, top prospect in that organization, and he's batting ninth over there. Not coming in here, jumping in the hot grease right away, but easing his way in, plugging a hole where there's a gap. Um, starting pitchers used to come in as the bottom, a bottom of rotation guy start out throwing three or four innings until they stretch them out and let them get used to being major league starters. Uh, they're breeding them differently. The game is playing differently. The, it, it, it's just different. So to answer your question, Tony, I don't think that you can use that analogy as far as the age situation. I think you got to go player by player, skill by skill. I do know this, being in the minor leagues and seeing guys, there's something that they all have in common. I don't care how old they are, and they all have that it factor. When you look at guys like Jelloff, when you look at Solarstrom, when you look at Butler, when I saw Mike Trout, when I saw Felix Rodriguez, when I see these guys, uh, um, Julio Rodriguez, I mean, when I see these guys break in with these, um, Corbin Carroll, when I see these guys break in with these teams in the lower minor leagues, and you say, oh. You know, it, 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 they have that it factor, and, and you don't notice that it factor at 26 years old. So, when you're getting a 26 year old guy, you're getting a guy who's against all odds. He's grinded, he's battled, he's found himself in the right situation at the right time, and they're taking advantage of it. But um, you can't trick this game, man. You really can't. And that's why I think it's so important that this age young team come in and play pitch by pitch, play by play. At bat, by at bat, till the last out is made. They can't afford to have mental lapses. They can't afford not to play the game the right way. You got to respect the game. And When I say respect the game, give the game what it's giving you—an opportunity to be your your best self. And if you do that, at the end of the day, you can live with the results. But when you start worrying about the results before you have gone through the process to create the results, the results are not going to look very good. So. Uh, I'm looking forward to the future. We know where we are right now, and what we've done in the recent past is just a a, a mirror of what's going on with this team right now, man. We're just keeping it real, but we're going to compete. We're going out there and play. Uh, These managers, these coaches, the front office, the scouts, the vendors, the 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 analysts the people like yourself everybody's wearing these losses just like everybody else but you have to keep in mind be true to what is real on the field and understand why it's like that
0: all right so as a guy that grew up watching this product being in berkeley and oakland your entire life and growing up an A's fan you've seen all the greats i've got all these people texting me they're ready to put up a statue For Zach Galoff already, they're ready to put him into the A's Hall of Fame, Shooty. What have you seen so far in Zach Galoff? He's doing stuff people have never done before.
4: Well, first of all, when I look at him and I look in his face, I see a guy of determination. I see a guy who's confident and a guy that's comfortable. Um, You don't see him up there wailing and off balance and uh, having bad swings. He's having good at-bats. Um, he utilizes the whole field. He's a guy that can hit and hit for power. And who knows, he might have a chip on his shoulder. You know, they, they got him ranked as the 94th uh, uh, prospect in the minor leagues. I know it ain't 94 better players than this guy right here and <laughs> what he's doing right now at the plate. But, man, he's 6'2". He's 12'5". he's much bigger than what he looks, man. I didn't know the dude was as big as he is, and he can run. But uh, there's nobody in the Hall of Fame for having 25 good games. Um, but we have a whole lot um, to look for. When you talk about the it factor, man, it, 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 it's the way he goes about it. You know, Marcotte talks about uh, he's as a hard as workers, anybody on the team, the way he prepares himself. Uh, and I think anybody that's had success in what they do, they get comfortable in their environment, in their element. And when you put yourself in that environment and that element that you are accustomed to, it's quite often that you're going to have some success and feel comfortable doing that. Uh, He's been able to slow the game down a little bit. And he's playing faster at second base, and I like that. Nick Allen told him to. He told him don't hold back, don't be passive, go out here and be aggressive. And and, and I like the the combination of the two with him right now. You haven't even heard – or even talk about him defensively he's been so good offensively and that's normally the case when the shay shay Shea, when chalalele is doing the talking man you don't even hear the leather bro I'm well, <laughs> just saying
0: yeah i it's <laughs> yeah when i saw him for the first time when he was playing for the ports he was a third baseman and to see a guy his size Just shows you how athletic he is that he can play second base, not embarrass himself, and play pretty well. And as a guy that is a former middle infielder like yourself, you know, you saw last night with the pickoff on Walker and they both tried to cover the bag. That's understandable. Just talk about why it is important right now. Play Allen at short, play Geloff at second, and so these guys can learn to communicate. And probably the best we've ever seen were Trammell and Lou Whitaker in Detroit to where they didn't even need to talk to each other. They knew each other so well. But you only developed that, Judy, by time playing together.
4: Oh, man. I mean, Tony, I don't think people uh, really understand. I think there's a lot of minimization of the thought process that goes in when you watch some of the plays that happen on the field. I mean, and you're exactly right. You can accept that because guys understand when certain guys come up to the play, depending on where they plan, the communication becomes even better because a lot of times they don't have to say anything. There was a play in center field last night that Brownie, you know, he probably catches that ball nine out of ten times, but for the simple fact that he thought there was a situation where maybe the center fielder was there, um, it created a problem. I've been so fortunate and blessed to be around guys like Dwayne Murphy, six-time Gold Glover, Devon White, seven-time Gold Glover. Demon. I learned how to scout with the Atlanta Braves when Andrew um, Jones was in center field at 19 years old. We're talking about some of the best that ever gone, have ever played there. But over time, playing with the guys that are on the corners that he made better because he was so good in center field, any ball that went up at a certain time and a certain direction, they knew the pump to pump the brakes because Andrew had it, and they knew that there's been Ladeian in center, there's been Ruiz in center. Now Butler, who knows, he may be the guy of the future. So it takes time, it takes trust, it takes uh, comfort being in your surrounding, in the middle of a diamond especially, man. But if anything, Nick Allen is the kind of guy that can take control out there. And uh, it's quite obvious unless somebody comes up in this system that's going to um, replace Nick Allen, because we know uh geloff is there, or gel-off is there for. Going to be there for a while, especially if he keeps swinging the bat the way he is now.
0: Woo, talking about experimenting tonight, boy. Ruiz is playing right field. That should be interesting. But I want to talk about um, the process has become so big with these young players that everybody is so worried about how hard they throw it, how hard they hit it, and there just seems to be a lack of awareness on truly how to play the game. As a scout, when you're out there and you're in the bushes, as you say, and you're watching these kids, how much are you seeing a lot of good, a lot of bad, but just the true instincts of how to play the game beyond just how big a guy is and how strong he is?
4: I I think the guys that have the natural instinct and the gift and the skill to play the game is the less that you have to say to them – and the way that they play the game instinctually, um, it's the right way and it's probably better than most guys around them. On most clubs that you go to, theoretically, you're going to see three or four guys that may be major league players unless these other guys maximize their skill set, which may be fringe, average, or average, but they go out there and they do a little bit of everything and they play themselves in the major league players and you love those kind of players. They become winning players. I love winning players. But with that being said, most of the time, your skill set, your level of ability to impose your will, whatever that part of your game is, is what has gotten you there. Analytically, I feel that whatever that is, it can tell you what they feel that you should be able to produce within your skill set. I don't have no problem with that. But when you start telling some guys to elevate the ball, hit the ball a certain way, uh, I I, I think you're kind of crossing the line because we're all made up mechanically differently. Our thought process, our instincts, our level of fear and confidence is different. We're all different. Our bodies are different. We're just different, man. In situations, we're different. I think you can enhance in development. I think you can teach. I think you can bring awareness but when you start trying to teach a guy with long arms how to pull his arms in and he hasn't figured it out after guys has been pounding in him and pounding him in, then we got a problem here. If me and you in a fight, Tony, and you're jabbing me and jabbing me and jabbing me in my chin, I got to get my left off. I'm going to get knocked out. And I don't need you to tell me that. So I, I, it's, you know, I tell you one thing. What are we waiting for, guys, to throw 120 miles per hour? No. Because if we continue to try to preach and teach, and we keep on talking about uh, velocity opposed to the, the art of pinching. Okay, I get the science, man, but let's teach some art of pitching. Let's, let's get guys off balance. Let's, let's locate on the outer half. Let's pitch up in the zone and then come with a pitch up in the zone that gets out of the zone. Let's have some thought process here and some touch because mind over matter. Okay? If you go out there, and I know if I uh, am able to go out there and put a ball on the outer down in the zone, there's only one thing you can do, hit it through the hole or on the ground. You cannot elevate that good pitch sinking um between the knee and the ankle okay it, you just can't, so everybody can't pitch at the top of the zone let's it spin uh all this kind of pitch at the top of man top of the zone used to get you shot up out the yard that's just like a sweeper, really <laughs> we're gonna talk about the a sweeper's a good pitch, okay, come on man <laughs> well hey really? hey, I, I want so... you 'cause cody cody here
0: basically thinks baseball is fantasy baseball, right? He doesn't actually think about really playing the game. He's just worried about, as a pitcher, how many strikeouts you have. I want you to tell me the story. The best guy that you've seen, what was he, a double-A guy for the Minnesota Twins, how he carved people up? Tell that story you told me.
4: King Ming Lin, and I might be messing his name up, but he's a 5'10 lefty, weigh 150 pounds, Maybe 5'10", probably five, nine. And I've seen thirteen teams. I, I've, man, I could, I've seen about six hundred players this year and or games I've seen so many games, a game every day. Uh, but this was the best pitching performance in which I've seen all year. And it was not so much the fact of the stuff that he had, but the way that he used it. He had a complete repertoire. But every pitch had a purpose. Um, Every pitch set up the next pitch. uh, And it was just so impressive to watch. And he carved up some pretty good hitters in the lineup that he faced. And I just – and he was left-handed. You know, I I never had no respect for left-hand pitchers. I hit 600 off Tommy John, even though I only faced him six times and got four hits. I still owned him. So, I mean, I don't care nothing about left hand, But I was thoroughly impressed by this young man, just pitchability. Yeah, he could touch 95, but you know what? He lived at 89 and 91, 92. Now, then he throw you 95, just let him know you had it so you'd be aware of it. But while you're trying to amp up to catch up with 95, all he's doing is just jacking you up with 91 and 92. So, um, if I'm anybody that works in um, pitching development, every pitcher in – uh, in the minor leagues we have a pamphlet of greg maddox and how he did it and how he got it done and watch and, and, and read anything mental that he had to say because in my opinion in my time um uh greg maddox is the best i ever seen and never threw over 80 92
0: by the way what color what colors? is su- yeah what colors is the suit tonight pardon me what color is the suit tonight
4: you know we gonna mix in a little little gold and a little taupe tonight. You know we gonna we gonna sauce it up a little bit. By the way, the the <laughs> the other
0: night you had a tie. There's a name for that the print on the tie. I have one of those. My wife loves it. And I go. I'm gonna take a picture of it, Shooty, and send it to you. I think it'll. I've never busted it out. I, I'm gonna have to bust that out. Uh, but you are the best dressed man on TV. I do have to say this. I was thoroughly upset. It was two days ago after that uh, comeback loss that the A's had where it was a historic loss. I got ma- I'm got. i watching you and-, and the great Brody Brazil and how depressed you guys were, and you guys were kind of upset after the game. And it made me yes. – can I tell you why I was <laughs> mad at you guys and then I was mad at Vince Catroni, I was mad at the world. Can I tell you why? Absolutely. Because I've been upset for the last four and a half months. Where have you guys been? <laughs> now you're upset. Now you're now. I've been wearing this oh. crap game after game after game, and you guys wait till mid-August to say that I, I'm now I'm now
4: angry. A hey, a hey, I don't I don't think words could describe it that night, County. <laughs> no, it's bad. Really, that was bad. I really don't, bro. <laughs> you wear it well. Cannot say. <laughs> you
0: yeah, I don't think I, I don't think people understand. And one of the reasons why I love to bring you on and I don't want to talk about how, you know, when you're a player, but I, I love to talk about the scouting aspect because I don't think people understand people in your profession how good you guys are. You read human beings. You're interviewing people constantly. As you mentioned, I'll talk to the coaches. I'll talk to school administrators. I'll talk to parents. I'll talk to girlfriends. I'll talk to wives. You're investigators. I mean, you basically are a human evaluator. And to be good on that, to be good at that, it takes many years. You're just not saying, oh, the guy throws 100 miles an hour. There's a lot that goes into your job that I think the average person, they don't understand how good you got to be.
4: Well, if you're going to make an investment into someone that you're going to make a millionaire and they're going to represent the organization that you're working for, uh, I think the skill and ability and look on the back of his baseball card and resume tells you all of that. But you need to know as much about that person in tough times, situations that you don't get to see him on the field, off the field when he leaves the field. You never know. It might be something, how he engages his teammates or his coaches or how he handles the situation. It tells you a lot about the guy. So uh I enjoy this job. It's been twenty nine years for me. I've seen so many things and it's fun to see the ones that I thought would be good and that weren't. And it's good to see the ones that I thought were gonna be good that turned out to be good. So um uh, it, it, it's been a great run, man. And Tony, I appreciate you so much for giving me the platform to talk about it and to make me feel like the things that come out my mouth are somewhat relevant and I appreciate it. You know, a guy from the Bay Area born and raised here to get the opportunity to share my, my stories and my job and my career, what I do, man, has just been a wonderful thing. So I can't thank you enough. Partner.
0: How many World Series rings you got?
4: I got four. I got four on me.
0: There you go. There's, <laughs> a re- <laughs> there, there's a reason we bring you on. You're the best, Judy. Have a good show tonight, and we'll see you on Thursday.
4: Thank you, Tony, man. You have a great show, too, bro. Appreciate you. The great Shooty Babbitt. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
0: For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile
2: banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
0: And Jonathan, it's, we always appreciate you stopping by Ace Cast Live. Before we get into uh, all the stuff that I want to talk to you about when we talk about prospects, I wanted to highlight your new book, Smart, Wrong, and Lucky, the original stories of baseball's un- unexpected stars. You know, we all think about the great ones when they get drafted, like Ken Griffey, you got drafted and you knew right away this guy was going to be great. It doesn't always work that way. Talk about your book.
5: Yeah, I mean, that's exactly the kind of story uh, stories I tried to tell in this book. Thanks, uh, guys, for having me. Uh, you know, I spend all my time, most of my time, day to day talking to scouts, and they're such great storytellers. And they're the ones that find these guys, they see something in them. And for every Ken Griffey Jr. or Alex Rodriguez, yeah. You know, or a guy like that, there's Albert Pujols, you know, who was a 13th rounder out of a small junior college. Uh, Lorenzo Kane was a, a draft and follow in the, you know, taken late in the 17th round. He hadn't played a, an inning of baseball before his sophomore year of high school. Uh, Ian Kinsler played at three different colleges and was a 17th round pick and wow. amassed more war than anybody in his draft class. You know, yeah. the list goes on and on. The good thing is I could, you know, write three or four sequels in yeah. this and never run out of these great stories. So it's all – Stories like this, and you know, scouts are pretty smart and and humble, so even though I gave them the chance to say, hey, now's your chance to say, I knew Jacob deGrom when we took him in the you know, eighth or ninth round as an 88 to 90 mile an hour finesse pitcher who had mostly been a shortstop and caused it. He was going to be the best pitcher on earth for a few years. You can say, yeah, I knew it, and none of them would take the bait.
0: Yeah, I remember when I was uh, my senior year, before I went and played in college, my senior year of high school, our draft class, I played a lot with Tony Clark in San Diego, but it was Chipper Jones and Tony Clark. Everybody knew who they were. And then I I think about somebody like Mike Piazza. Like, he had the connection to Tommy Lasorda. Ted Williams came and watched him hit. I mean, he's one of the greatest right-handed hitters, one of the greatest hitting catchers of all time. Nobody knew who Mike Piazza was.
5: No, and I, and I didn't even include Mike in, in this one, only because that uh, I, that would fall into the lucky category of, of, of you know smart, wrong, and lucky just because yeah. <laughs> that wasn't even a, a terrific uh, job of scouting. That was having a connection and kind of doing a favor for Tommy Lasorda. That really, really worked out. But it does show you that talent can come from pretty much anywhere.
0: I have noticed my relationship with scouts. Scouts love athletic ability. They see something in a guy. There's certain traits that they'll like, and they'll understand everybody's got warts. But there's certain scouts that you see over time, they nail it a lot. Not everybody, because when you're dealing with human beings, you're not always going to nail it. It's just not possible, right? But what is it about the guys that you have talked to over the years, especially the guys you really can trust, what is the characteristic that that scout has that makes them have the ability to find players.
5: You know, I don't know if it's, if it's one particular trait. Um, So many of them work so incredibly hard. Uh, So I can't say that like, Oh, they they just outwork everybody. Uh, Some of it's just a feel, uh, you know, really understanding. It's so hard to translate. Think about when you're looking at a high school player, let's put aside the international guys, because you're scouting guys when they're 15 years old and, trying to yeah. project what they're going to be like when they're 25 is, is, you know, impossible, but uh, you're looking at a 17 year old, say maybe 18 year old playing high school baseball uh, and, and maybe not against great competition. If it's not from, you know, one of these big baseball States and trying to figure out, okay, let's add six years to them. Let's put a wood bat in their hands. Uh, and what are they going to be? Tell me who's going to be the next star. So it, it, Having a, a sense and a feel for that, uh, it is, it's, it's such an inexact science. And even the best get it wrong all the time. But there are those that really do stand out. Uh, a guy like the late Mike Radcliffe, I think, comes to mind as one of the legends. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we lost him to cancer not long ago. Uh, but the reason why the Minnesota Twins took Walker Jenkins in the first round is because last summer, Mike snuck out when he wasn't supposed to be out seeing going to games because he was sick. Uh, and put an 80, which is the top of the scouting scale, on Walker Jenkins. That's a big reason why he's a Minnesota twin right now.
0: Well, and I think about, you know, Grady Fuson in our organization. Sure. Keith Lippman, who just retired. I mean, 54 years with the Oakland Athletic. Well, actually, the Athletics, because he dates back to Kansas City. That's how nah. long Keith lived. So when you think about great scouts, you know, I mean, Grady Fuson's a friend. Grady Fuson's won every award you possibly can. And he, sure. was, he was in the movie Moneyball that was up for an Oscar. So, scouts, these guys can play such a huge role in your organization. But I, I got to ask you this question because it's tormenting me right now with where the A's are. From my time also working in the NFL and from my time working in the NBA, baseball loves to call guys young. And they love to use and fall back on the excuse of guys are young, it's a young team, it's a young this. And then all of a sudden, I start looking at ages, and I go, "Wait a minute! This guy's 24. This guy's 25. This guy's not 19. This isn't. This isn't someone like Al Kaline coming out of high school and playing for the Texas. I mean, for the uh, Detroit Tigers." So I, I want to ask you when we start talking about young. What age should we really be looking at where we can really say, well, they're going young and it's a young team and they're losing Come there, – what is young to you in Major League Baseball?
5: I think if you don't know who Al Kaline was when you just referenced him, that's young. Um, I'm kidding. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I think there's young like just in terms of how – you know, the, the biological age, and then there's young in terms of experience. And I, I, I think your point is – is a valid one because I think the game is skewed younger and you're seeing more and more superstars, uh, you know, do incredible things in the, in the big leagues at a younger age than some of the players that are coming up to the A's. But I think it's, it's really more a, they have never played in the big leagues before there's a learning curve there, regardless of how old you are in a perfect world, guys that are a little bit older might be able to hit the ground running a little bit more. I mean, and maybe you're seeing that with a guy like Zach Geloff right now, but, Uh, I think it's more inexperienced than it is biological age.
0: Yeah, it's tough because I know with biological age is how we view guys when they get into their 30s. And, you know, you go to like the winter meetings and you're talking to all these front office people, they don't want to pay guys in their 30s. So if guys in their 20s, let's say 23, 24, maybe even 25, I've heard some guys being called young those guys are young. We don't want to paint your third. I mean, we have this really small window, window here, right. Of like, okay, you're young or you're old. I mean, there's that short, I, I don't know. I, I don't even know how to explain it to fans.
5: No, I think I, I don't think you're wrong there. And it just means that that window for some of these players who are coming up now, it is, is a, a smaller window than it is for a super young guy uh, you know, coming up, you know, and even for looking at guys within the A system, you know, the, the window for Tyler Soderstrom to figure it out is, is longer. That's why there are a lot of people who advocate that guys should just sign out of high school. Uh, just looking from a player's standpoint, right? If you want to get a, a good free agent contract, you almost have to sign younger or be one of those guys that gets to the big leagues really, really fast, like a, like a Zach Nato for uh, for the Angels. I think Jacob Wilson uh, the A's first round pick is a guy who should be able to move pretty quickly and get to the big leagues while he's still relatively young. Because if you don't do that, as you pointed out, uh, teams don't want to pay the guys who are, who are over 30 uh, because all the data shows that once you're north of that age, and there are exceptions to every rule, and I think guys are in better and better shape for longer than they used to be, but you're less likely to, to get that big free agent contract. Uh, if you're if you're past that 30 year benchmark, and so if you're not coming up to the big leagues until you're 24, 25, your chance to to get that payday from the player side is shorter. But also from a from a team standpoint, uh, the chance for you to maximize the productivity you're going to get before a player you know reaches arbitration or you're going to have to pay them is much shorter.
0: That's why we love bringing you on because that was really interesting because we're talking about life. Right. These are life decisions when you're a young man and you're thinking about, OK, do I want to go to college route? Do I want to go the minor league route? I think, you know, I, I'm very fortunate that I got to play college baseball. I'm very fortunate that I got my school paid for and I got my education that has led me to this career versus high school sign, better chance, long term to get the jackpot, the huge money, right? So it's like it's great life lessons. There's so many things you learn not only as a baseball player or as an athlete. We talk football, basketball, whatever. Uh, there's so many great advantages to going to college and to getting a degree for your life, but then there's also great advantages of getting drafted out of high school. And th- those are That's a really tough call.
5: Sure. And then we're talking, if you really think about it, right, we're talking about a very small percentage yep. of players who really have to think about it because the vast majority of high school players either need college or, or have to go to college. Cause they're not going to you know get drafted early enough or, or even going to get drafted at all. Uh, and I think, you know, for the most part, uh, you know, th- this recent time period because of COVID threw things uh, a little bit off kilter, but the scouting industry has done such a great job of finding the best high school players and signing them, especially hitters. Uh, you know, Dylan Cruz, who was the number two pick in this year's draft, is a little bit of an outlier, I think, because his senior year of high school was the COVID year and he wasn't scouted the way he, he normally would have. So he removed himself from the draft and went on to LSU and had a huge college career, uh, that's happening less and less because i think the industry isn't recognizing what exactly what we're we're talking about but we're talking about a very select number of high school players who even have to sort of try to quickly make this uh, calculation as to what's best for them in their future
0: and that's why when you look at your book smart wrong and lucky the origin stories the origin stories of the baseball's uh, unexpected stars tells you there's a lot of roads on how we can get to the big leagues. Let's get to some A's, guys. Geloff, I mean, my God, it's just been a start that it's historic. What did you think of him before, and what do you think of him now?
5: Uh, you know, I guess I'll start with the sort of usual caveat that, you know, what he's doing right now is fantastic. It is absolutely phenomenal, especially power-wise. It is a very small sample size. Yeah. Uh, so I don't want people to jump to a conclusion and start, you know, uh, you know engraving his – plaque and Cooper's down. We are, um, we already put it there. If you... <laughs> uh, all right. I mean, that's fine. You know, if you snuck it in there, good for him. I, I mean, I like Zach a lot. Um, you know, uh, I met him in the fall league. I always liked him. He kind of was one of these guys who was like on the brink of our top 100 He was on it. He was off it. he You know, he, he's on it again. Now um, he doesn't do it the the way you know, like the swing. Some scouts would look at the swing and be like, Oh, I don't know. That could get exposed. Um, In the minors, he got banged up some, so it was even hard to tell exactly what he was going to be. I I, I think he's going to hit. He's a good athlete. Um, You know, and I think we may look back and realize that we probably undervalued him, and he may be a better big leaguer than he was, you know, thought of as a prospect, especially because he's athletic. You could move him around if you wanted him to. He runs well. It looks like the power is going to play. You know, I just don't want people to get – you know, have two unfair expectations for him based on what he's done this year. But this has exceeded expectations based on sort of where we thought he was.
0: Well, well, get ready for this one, all right? You want to talk cart before the horse. Lawrence Butler comes up, 6'3", super athletic, had a great spring. And we're like, when's the last time the A's brought up a guy like this? the name Jose Canseco gets brought up to no win stop. when he was the rookie of the year. But Lawrence Butler, what, what do you think so far? And what do you think? Well, actually it's only been a couple games, but what yeah. do you, what do you think of Lawrence Butler and what he can be? Cause obviously he's a very athletic 6'3 guy.
5: Yeah. He, he's really interesting to me. Cause I think this is where um, young and inex- as inexperienced is more because 23 and 23 is still young. But it seems like we've been talking about him for a while. As a guy you know, signed out of high school. It took him a little bit. Um, that swing is going to work. I, I think it's going to work. Uh, it's just a question of, is he the kind of guy who is going to tease with that ability and strike out a ton? Uh, I think his approach has improved. But this is a guy who's got legitimate 2020 potential. You know, It's just a question of him... Uh, Consistently um, finding the barrel to in order to do that, but it but it's all in there. And you know he's a guy who can play the outfield corners. He can play first base even though he hasn't done it. You don't necessarily need him to do that. But uh, there are a lot of ingredients there to like. And I think you're right. While the that kind of comparison, and I hate major league comparisons in general, but comparing him <laughs> to someone like Jose Canseco is completely unfair. It is true that it is you know to to have a guy sort of big, physical, and athletic like that. Um, you haven't seen a lot of that. And and there's an excitement that comes with that kind of player automatically.
0: By the way, Ian Kinsler gets brought up with Geloff all the time around here.
5: Yeah, and he and and uh, and Zach loves Ian. Uh, yeah, I've done a lot of stuff with Team Israel over the years. And one of the selling points when I was talking to Zach in the Arizona Fall League about playing in the World Baseball Classic was, you know, you know, who's going to manage that team. You could pick Ian Kinsler's brain for like, you know, the time that you're there. And that was a big selling point. And I'm sure he. He is Matt. He maximized his time with Ian, just in terms of how he went about it. Um, and I think there are some, you know, that, that's not a, a terrible comparison. But of course, no one thought Ian Kinsler was going to be Ian Kinsler when he first came up, either.
0: Well, I got to tell you, you know, you're getting old when you start when you start covering kids and you played against their dad. I played against Steve Solders from when he was at Fresno State. <laughs> so all of a sudden, his kid is our first round pick. You're like, wow. So what do you think of Tyler?
5: You know, it's been, it's been interesting. and speaking of old, by the way, uh, Justin Crawford was in the Futures game. Just, to, I'm yeah. going to digress just for a second. His dad was Carl Crawford. Yeah. I covered Carl Crawford in the Futures game. So I covered <laughs> his dad as a prospect and then his son as a prospect. So that, the fact that he was wow. in the draft was hard enough. Wow. You know, Andrew Jones and, and Justin Crawford. But yeah. um, I think that you're just, Tyler Sarson's the kind of guy you're just going to have to let, let go, let him hit. Um it's going to take a little while to adjust. I actually was expecting to dominate in the minors this year a little bit more. The power is very, very real. Um, and maybe even more so than Lawrence Butler, it's going to be a consistency thing. And I think he's going to get there. You're going to have to live with some strikeouts. Um, I know the catching has improved, um, to the point where he's caught almost as much as he's played first base this year, which, which is encouraging, uh, It'll be interesting to see what happens long-term, just in terms of other personnel in the system and things like that. Um, But, you know, I I do think that, I mean, the left-handed power is very, very real. As long as you can live with some strikeouts, I don't think he's going to be a a three-true-outcome kind of guy, um, but he may never hit for a huge average, but you might get 35 to 40 homers every year.
0: Let's end on this, and we truly appreciate your time. If you had to say out of the 30 teams – Handling your minor league system. Now, all teams are different because of payrolls and markets and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, we we do have 30 different minor league systems. If you had to pick one team that you say this team should be the model, which team would that be?
5: For for the A's or just in general,
0: just in general. Well,
5: I mean, because in just in general, it's hard to look past, say, what the Los Angeles Dodgers have done because they win every year and they manage a really good farm system. Not everyone has the financial wherewithal to keep big leaguers. So, if I were to pick another team that made more sense for a wider slot, then that's why I was asking specifically maybe about about the A's. Or I live in Pittsburgh, so the Pirates. I'd have to, you know, the Pirates. Okay, let's let, well let's right do now. that.
0: Let's do then. Let's switch the parameters. For, yeah. for, so I, say, for the, I'd like, this, Pirates, Royals, A's yeah. type.
5: So the Pirates are doing well right now, but they have to kind of hit the switch again. I think the Tampa Bay Rays are the team that probably uh, are, are the sort of standard bearer for not being a, lar- a large market, not having huge revenue, but uh, competing now seems every year uh, and maintaining a really good farm system. And they do it by, you know, drafting well, but also, if you notice, even when they trade for a big leader that maybe helps them out down the stretch in a playoff race, they always get some, like, low-level, complex league, rookie ball kind of guy who ends up being one of the best prospects in baseball. And I always say, like, if the Rays are calling and asking about a guy that you have in your complex league, hang up the phone. Because that guy ends up being some superstar eventually. But so they they – find ways, you know, every way that you can bring in minor league talent, they do it, you know, draft internationally and and via trades. They just seem to to get it right on on all those avenues. So that's probably the organization I would point to.
0: Hey, great stuff. We always appreciate the time. We'll pump the book for you. Be well and let's talk soon.
5: Sounds good, Chris. Thanks very much.
0: Great stuff. Great stuff. Talk about our players, Uh, smart, wrong, and lucky. The origin stories. Of baseball's unexpected stars.
1: That's right. We got two
0: historic franchises coming up here the Oakland Athletics and the St. Louis Cardinals coming your way here on A's Cast. And we want to check in with Chip Carey, one of the best broadcasters that we have in the business. And before we get into the Cardinals, big question for you because I know it means a lot. Are we going to be looking at a three peat with your Georgia Bulldogs?
1: What do you think? Of course.
0: For sure? Is this a for sure? Another SEC yeah, championship?
1: Yeah, well, they've got a really easy schedule this year with the exception of going to Tennessee. So that's certainly going to help. If they can get healthy, get a new quarterback in there uh, and avoid some speeding tickets, I think they've got a good chance to three-peat in the SEC. And we don't even know. I mean, its you, you got to get like a
0: guide out to figure out who's in the Big Ten and the SEC, now, Texas and Oklahoma now. I mean,
1: it's just crazy. Yeah, I, I, I long for the innocent, more innocent days where you knew who, who was in which conference. And uh, look, if the SEC is going to add guys. I don't know if they'll add any more with uh, Oklahoma and Texas joining, but I say bring Florida State and Clemson in and make it an even more super conference. That'd be a heck of a lot of fun.
0: You know, I think about your career and all the different places, whether it's Chicago, whether it's Atlanta, it's St. Louis. I mean, super stations that you've been on. Where we are in the broadcasting business, right? Streaming's becoming so big. Just how strange, you know, from your grandfather to your father and now your sons, just just how crazy is this whole world now of how we deliver baseball because it's changed so much?
1: Yeah, I don't think the delivery is any different. I think it's how people are able to consume it that's so different. And the fact that it's so fractionalized right now tells you that the change it's taking place is obviously uh, uh, stark. It's real. It's difficult. It's hard to navigate through for the broadcasters, the broadcast entities and Major League Baseball itself. What's frustrating for me is, I guess now as an older person, uh, that baseball seemingly is going out of its way to make it more and more difficult for people to consume their product than easier. And I think that's a big mistake. I know got blackout rules and all that kind of stuff. But with a plethora of streaming services that are carrying games, many people don't consume baseball that way. There is a a, a small number who do, but uh, the fact that uh, there isn't the option for people who want to watch a game, and I'll use Apple TV and Peacock as an example, Uh, the fans who pay their money every month to watch their favorite team, and when those games are on those other streaming services, the fans are blacked out if they don't pay uh, their $10 a month. I think is a, is a shame. I wish there was a way that everything could work in harmony and work um, uh, in concert with each other. But, you know, I guess baseball needs those $3 million per team for one of those streaming services. H- how's the transition to St. Louis been for you? Uh, it's been great. Uh, seamless. Uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, again, I made it clear to Atlanta that I would love to stay. It just got harder and harder to keep trying to do that. Uh, when the St. Louis opportunity popped up for me, it was a dream come true. I grew up here, knew the culture to a certain degree, and uh, still have family who lives here. Uh, so from that standpoint, going from a storied franchise in Atlanta to the one here in St. Louis has been great. Unfortunately, the team hasn't played as well as we thought that they would <laughs> yeah. going into sprint training, which happens, and it's not the new guy's fault. Uh, but you know, even when I came here as a visiting broadcaster, whether it was with the Braves or with the Cubs, I'd walk into that broadcast facility and I'd see pictures of Jack Buck and Jay Randolph and Mike Shannon and my grandfather, and it always felt like it was kind of a homecoming, so to speak, even though I was only here for three days at a time. So from that standpoint, uh, that's been comfortable. The organization and Valley Midwest have gone out of their way to make me and my family feel a part of it. And so far, I think uh, the response has been very good from the fans. So all in all, I couldn't be more proud, but I also couldn't be more humbled to uh, to have been welcomed so warmly.
0: Yeah, that's awesome because you know, as a kid growing up, you know, I, you know, your grandfather, you know, early cable days for for some of us who are old enough to remember, WGN was one of the first stations that we were able to get on cable. You know, we didn't know about your grandfather in St. Louis, but obviously, he had a great career in St. Louis. It's just. Really cool for you to go back, right, as the grandson. Yeah. And I mean that's yeah. that's historic stuff.
1: Yeah, Harry's well, I was born here. My dad was born here, my grandfather was born here. So we're all native St. Louisans and the same is you can leave, but St. Louis never leaves you. Uh, yeah, Harry started here in nineteen forty-five with the Cardinals and went to, to the end of the 69 season, went to Oakland for a year, as you know, and then made his way to the White Sox with Bill Veeck. Uh, on Chicago south side, then to the Cubs, where he worked until he passed away. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's there's so many things that I've, I've always dreamed of coming full circle as a broadcaster and as a family person. One of those would be to work here. One of those would be to sort of close the circle for Harry uh, in our hometown. Hopefully this will be the last stop for me. And who knows, maybe I'll be able to pave the way for my twins, who you mentioned earlier in the show. Uh, but more than that, um, you know, it, it's, it's helped close some family loops and things that I didn't know about Harry personally. And that was the great tragedy of me not getting to work with him in Chicago. There are things I would have loved to have known. What was my dad like as a kid? What was my aunt like as a kid? You know, what, what, what kind of an athlete was dad in high school? Where was your favorite place to go hang out after a game? All those things were lost to time, obviously. And uh, through the friends that are still here and remain and remember him, uh, I'm hearing more and more of those stories, which keeps him alive, which is nice.
0: You know, you think about St. Louis, truly one of the great sports cities in our country. You think about the support. I always try and tell our fans it's hard to explain how big the Cardinals are because, you know, back in the day everybody's listening to radio and radio went, you know, Cardinal baseball went all the way into Texas. It's the entire Midwest. So they own the Midwest, basically. It's it's a great franchise, great fan base. This year just just talk about how hard it is for their fans because they're not used to this.
1: That's the key word and the key phrase. They're not used to it. I think the word that I would describe is shock. Uh, and, and to put it in perspective, the Cardinals have finished last in their division once in the last hundred years. <laughs> what? Okay. So they're in last place in the National League Central. Um, they have not been able to sustain much of anything. They, they just didn't have enough pitching. That was a big problem at the start of the year. And their offense was not very good. And Arenado has said he wasn't very good. And by his standards, he wasn't. Uh, But I think the the perspective I've tried to apply to people here, again, the, the, the beauty of coming in as an outsider is what happens in St. Louis and what has happened here for the last 15, 16 years is an outlier. They finished above 500 15 straight years. And in most places, you have three or four years where you're above 500, three or four years where you're way below, and then three or four where you hope to, you know, be you know two over or three over and have a chance to get into postseason play. So this really was culture shock for them. But I think it's a great wake up call for them in this regard. You know, every now and then, you know, you got to take a step back and rebuild and retool. And I think the ownership and, and management understands that the bit the bets that they placed on starting pitching were not wise ones. Uh, the the emphasis on pitching to contact in a world where the shift is no longer outlawed, in a world where swing and miss and high velo with command is really, really critically important. Those are all things the Cardinals did not have much of this year. And they don't really have that right now. So they're going to give guys auditions down the stretch. They'll have be the auditions in this series against the A's. And they'll find out what they have so that they can go into offseason planning with an idea of what they've got to go get. But as John Mozeliak showed you at the trade deadline, it's pitching, pitching, and pitching. They score enough runs. they got to find a way to pitch so they don't have to win every game two or three times, which has been the big problem this year.
0: Yeah, looking at my notes going into this game, I was just kind of shocked. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt, kind of from an OPS standpoint, how much he has fallen off, especially in August, because we know I mean, this guy is going to have a chance to have a plaque in Cooperstown someday. What's been
1: going on with him? He's had trouble with the fastball, but he's played virtually every inning of every game. I mean, the thing about the Cardinals is this. Uh, you've got two Hall of Fame guys in the corners in Arenado and Goldschmidt. Uh, Brendan Donovan, who just had elbow surgery, is another real gamer on this team. Uh, all three of those guys uh, were working together at the trade deadline to help the Cardinals get some momentum to maybe find a way somehow to get on a roll where they wouldn't sell off of the deadline. Brendan Donovan has uh, a partially torn ligament in his elbow he had to have surgery he said it didn't affect him to hit he said i'm not getting any kind of surgery until after the deadline until we know what we're doing or not doing he played hurt because all he could do is dh that meant arenado and goldschmidt who could rest up and and re-energize by being the dh couldn't do that They played virtually every day at first and third. And if you don't know St. Louis, it's 104 degrees here every day (laughs) in the summer. And those guys aren't spring chickens anymore. So the point of that is, have the numbers for Goldschmidt suffered a bit? Yeah. But it's because he's been in the lineup and he's trying to gut and will his way through and show these young guys how to play through some adversity and how to play through the aches and pains. He hasn't felt good since opening day. No player does. But to his credit, a guy that's going to end up, as we said, in Cooperstown and the reigning MVP, he's acted like that behind the scenes as well as between the white lines.
0: You know, it's so interesting. You mentioned the DH, and we talk a lot about Shohei Otani being a full DH. We got used to way back in the day, if you talk about like Reggie Jackson and Paul Mulder and George Brett and Dave Winfield, you talked about players when their careers were, were at the end and they couldn't play in the field anymore but they could still swing it Harold Baines like these guys you still had him as a full time DH now we utilize the DH in so many different ways just how tough is it for a team just to say you're the DH you're the guy playing every day because as you as you said it doesn't allow other guys to get off their feet and still get four at bats
1: well it depends on it depends on the makeup of your team I'll, I'll I'll use the team that I just came from they've got four guys who play, who have played Every game in Atlanta, Olsen, Albies, uh, uh, Austin, Riley, and Acuna. They've played all 112 games for Atlanta. Brian Sinker can write those four guys in because they are young enough and they want to play every single day. And that's not to insinuate that our guys don't. I think what's happened in in the National League is they've adjusted to the DH. It's now become a load management feature for the clubs. Guys that are used to playing every day or would have to take a full day off say, well, I feel good enough to hit, but I just need to get off my feet for a day. Um, it's a really wonderful thing, and to your point about prolonging careers, it's certainly done that as well. The problem we've had in St. Louis is because of injury and because of lineup and roster construction, it's really been difficult to put together your ideal lineup, depending on how hot a guy is or not, on a daily basis. So the DH has been great, but we've got guys that we could probably have three of them at one point, and, of course, the roster only allows you to use one at a time. Jordan
0: Walker could be a special player. A lot of talk about him and how – up and down at times. Uh, just give us a scouting report and what do you think of him?
1: Well, I think he's great. He, a, he's a great kid. He's got a chance to be a terrific player. He's learning on the fly. Last year, he was playing third base in the minor leagues. The Cardinals converted him to the outfield on August 22nd. He has not had a full calendar year professionally at playing the outfield. And I think the numbers defensively reflect that. If you look at his numbers defensively, he is one of. The weakest outfielders in the major leagues because he's drinking from a fire hose defensively right now. Uh, offensively, uh, he's shown fits and spurts. He's had a 12-game hitting streak. He's had a 17-game hitting streak uh, for the Cardinals this year. Um, he's hitting mistakes right now, but he's 22 years old and he's learning on the job. On a per- in a perfect world, he probably would have spent the whole year for St. Louis. At AAA, he's going to have to play the outfield or play outfield in DH here because Goldschmidt's not going anywhere. Arenado's not going anywhere. So he's got to learn how to play the outfield and play it at a higher level. And he knows that. He's up to the challenge. I think he's in that classic young player mode where he's out there and he's not yet relying on instinct and he's playing not to make a mistake. And that's a really, really hard place to be, especially in a place like St. Louis where the team's expected to be successful and win games. This isn't a tryout camp, ordinarily speaking. And he's basically trying out for the team on a daily basis. He's doing great. He's holding his head above water. He has a lot to be proud of. And I think we're all very excited about how much better he's going to be. And I would assume that when the season's over, he'll go play somewhere, get some more reps in the outfield to get ready for a spring training 24.
0: I think outside of the Midwest, I don't think everybody understands what a great rivalry the Cubs and the Cardinals. Now, obviously, the Cardinals have got the better of it all these years. But I'll never forget, we're playing over there down in Mesa. We're at ho -Ho Cam – Cubs are at Sloan Park, and I remember I'm in the Uber, and I'm at the light, and I look over, and they've got these T-shirts where the Cubs are just ripping St. Louis as a city. And I'm like, this, oh, yeah. I'm like, this is spring training, and they're sh- they're selling anti-Cardinals shirts on the corner. I went, that's a rivalry. I, yeah, I, I, yeah I love it.
1: came to St. Louis, and they were wearing shirts that said, St. Louis is boring. And uh, I, I would have responded by saying, yeah. Yeah, but our beer's not 15 bucks either. You know, so uh, but it is a great rival. I've seen it from both sides, and that's what makes it fun. You know, yeah. Chicago's always been the and I please understand how I'm saying this. If you look at the head-to-head competition when it comes to World Series and like, they've always been the you know the the uh, the weaker the weaker younger brother and they're flexing their muscles now, and that's what makes the rivalry so good. When they go to St. Louis, the Cardinals want to beat their brains in. When we go to Wrigley Field, we know it's going to be a fight, and it's going to be a war, and the fans are going to be on top of us. Hell, they even boo the broadcasters when they come back there, which is fun, (laughs) Uh, but it's a great rivalry, and it does, as you said, it, it encapsulates all the Midwest. It's not just the Yankees and Red Sox, which is the Northeast. It's not the Dodgers and Giants, or you guys, and the Giants out on the West Coast, which is basically California, but Cubs and Cardinals really has been a nationwide phenomenon, and you're right, the power of KMOX radio with Harry Carey and Jack Buck in the, in the 1940s and 50s from St. Louis west to the Rockies, north to the Canadian border, south to the Gulf of Mexico, and east all the way to Baltimore and New York and Philadelphia. That was the range of their 50,000-watt uh, uh, AM signal, and that's where a lot of people around our country fell in love with not just baseball but with the Cardinals in particular.
0: Let's end on this. Is there anything better than beating Alabama and Nick Saban?
1: Oh no! Absolutely. Well, I'll take that back. Yeah, uh, beating Florida. I hate the Gators too. So really? Throw them too. Yeah, I can't stand them. Yeah, yeah, gross. Yeah,
0: back in the day, Tennessee, but they really haven't been. But that SEC people don't people need to understand SEC is so different. Like the, every school the tradition of all the schools and every school has the rivalry and everybody travels every single Saturday. Oh yeah. It's unbelievable. Well, I grew
1: up in, I grew up in St. Louis and went to Georgia and went to my first football game in September of 19, uh, 1987. And I'm thinking, okay, it's a football game. Who cares? Cause you know, Mizzou hadn't done anything. I grew up here in St. Louis and I went to my first football game, and I was like Vinny and my cousin Vinny, like, what's a grit? That's kind of how I was when I came from the Midwest <laughs> to the South, right? And I go to this football game, and I see, uh, it might have been UCLA, I drive down the field and score a touchdown on the first drive of the game. And I'm looking over, and there sorority girls crying because Georgia gave up a touchdown, I'm going, something's a little different here. And sooner or later, you, you start to figure out what the frat parties and just the festive atmosphere of a Southern football campus. When a big rivalry football game takes place, everybody is really into it. And, it, and that's what we love about sports, right? It's that sense of common yeah. community. doesn't matter race, religion, color, creed, political affiliation. If you are a fan of the team, you are a brotherhood for that particular day. And you're right about that's, that's what makes the sec so special. It is different. It's a step above, and to have experienced that even in the dark days of Georgia football was a lot of fun. And for my boys to experience a national championship while they were in school and me paying the tuition, it was a lot of fun too.
0: <laughs> well, hey, I'm so happy for you. As you know, you're one of the best in our game. We always appreciate your time. And good luck the rest of the season. We'll talk soon.
1: You okay, Chris, thanks. Good luck to the A's. Gabo,
0: to Take care, Tim. Chris Jimenez is going to join us here from MLB Sirius XM. Kind of hard to uh, – Kind of hard to say that uh, they needed just a new spot. Jesus Aguilar, where is he? Braves on a league Bill. Yeah. Well, we're bringing him on for the first time. Chris, welcome to A's Cast Live. This is Chris Townsend with the Oakland Athletics. Appreciate you stopping by the show.
3: Yeah, thank you guys very much for having me on.
0: This is awesome. Well, it's bringing you back home. If a lot of people don't know, you're from actually, I know you're in Reno now, but you're a Gilroy guy. That's exactly right. Born and raised. So when you were growing up, were you A's or Giants? No,
3: I was A's all the way. My entire family was Giants and 49ers, and I was A's Raiders the whole way.
0: Oh, I love it. Well, you know, obviously (laughs) you're speaking my language, as I used to work for the Oakland Raiders also, and uh, what a great franchise. And I think about – you know, when you grow up here, just talk about the inspirations. When you think about the great players, I'm sure uh, looking yeah. at l- looking at your age, I start thinking about money balls right in your wheelhouse.
2: It was, yeah. It
3: was uh, right around high school. College for me is when, you know, they kind of went on that whole money ball craze. Before that, it was Carney Lansford, Mark McGuire, Jose Canseco, uh, Mark McGuire is still, to this day, my favorite player of all time. I always wanted to be a first baseman because of him. And I actually even hit like him in college. I had his swing down pretty darn pat. Uh, maybe with a little less power, but I still hit a few <laughs> outs.
0: You didn't hit it like he did at USC? Well, I mean, it was close. Very close. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when... when you think about this era, and you know, I just, Costas, I was on Fangraphs, had from Boston had an interesting. Uh, article is a Q&A with him, the first baseman slash DH for the Boston Red Sox. He talked all about analytics. He talked about swing playing. He talked about angle of pitches, how he adjusts his swing plane. He sounded more like a golfer than he did an actual baseball <laughs> player when talking about all the things. And I, I think it's fa- I think it's fascinating. I think all the biomechanics talk now is fascinating. But for your era, what was it like? you're in the Bay Area, you know the money ball thing's happening, analytics are really coming into baseball. How do you think that helped shape you as a player?
3: Well, you know what? First and foremost, it put a very big emphasis on on on-base percentage. You know, the A's being my favorite team, that was something that was really important to them in regards to their scouts. As I was getting scouted in high school, you know, they were talking continuously about on-base percentage. So it put a little different onus on the fact that, okay, yes, hits are great, home runs are great, but also having that keen eye at the plate is also going to go a long way. I actually got hit by a lot of pitches, so my on-base percentage was really high as well. And I think that kind of aided into the fact that they liked, you know, the style of play that I actually did, you know, whether it was being from a defensive standpoint as a catcher or an outfielder or uh, just my on-base percentage, you know, the way I could hit the ball. And and I had a good eye at the plate, but I, I definitely struck out my fair share as well.
0: Yeah, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's what we've seen over all these years, how baseball's become a three-true-outcome game. Do you, right. think, do you think we'll ever get to a point where that will kind of switch back a little bit? We're making contact. We're seeing them trying to bring stolen bases back. Do you think contact, good wood, putting barrel on ball, striking out less, do you, do you, do you see that trend maybe coming back anytime soon?
3: You know what? I would love to say yes but I think the only way it comes back is if they start paying people to do stuff like that. Home runs, RBIs are still the name of the game in regards to getting paid through arbitration, through free agency until they make an adamant change in regards to how they go about or how they value through the arbitration process. You know, the on base percentage part of it, the, you know, just back to ball ability, the contact part of it. You know, you look at a guy like Luis rise, I know he hits his second year through arbitration, but he's making just a mere $4 million bucks, and he's about to hit close to 400 this year. So until they start paying guys to do that, I think we won't see you know, guys really actively make a change to do it because they're not getting paid to.
0: You know, it's great now that that you're in our side of the world now as you're on satellite (laughs) radio. Uh, And I love the channel. I don't know if you know this, but we have all the guys on. Farron's been coming on for years. Jim Duquette's been coming on for years. Mad Dog comes on all the time. Everybody that's a a part of uh, SiriusXM, Channel 89. We promote you all the time. I have it on in my car constantly or on the app. Uh, we have cJ. Nikowski, Ryan Spielberg. So I'm glad we finally have you on because we have everybody on. We have the whole group on. You're now a part of it. That's good. I'm glad I could round out that group because I felt
3: left out a little bit there. You named some pretty pretty big heavy hitters in our in our channel there, and I'm glad that I can throw my name up there with them now.
0: So I threw this I had a caller last night after the game, and you know how rough it is with the athletics, and we're not we're not hiding it from yes. anybody. Uh, a caller we were talking about because Eno Saris, the national baseball columnist from The Athletic, That's com- right. he comes on our show every single week. He has a weekly show. And he was just at an analytics conference, and we started kicking it around, and we started talking about baseball today versus te- baseball yesteryear. And too many times, we always want to compare. You're going to be kind of my guinea pig on this, by the way. We always compare <laughs> the best teams. So I brought it up last night. What if we took a modern day team like the Giants last year, 81 and 81, and compared that and played against a team we could bring them in a time machine from the 80s and take an 81 and 81 team from the 80s and bring them to today. So instead of dealing with great players, we're dealing with 500 teams. I wonder the, right. s- the styles of play since you were a catcher, you controlled the game. Well, catchers now, they're being developed where they don't even call their own pitches. Movement <laughs> is something that defenses really struggle with now. That era of baseball, starters went longer, starters were better. They didn't throw as hard, but they threw more strikes. They would hit and run, they would bunt, the movement in the game – Now, players now are bigger, stronger, hit a lot of home runs, take more walks. How do you think average teams, 81-81 in the 80s versus 81 and 81 now, the styles of play, how do you think they'd match up?
3: You know, that is a great question. And the thing that, as soon as you started explaining that, the thing that immediately popped into my head was the starting pitchers. The way starters are used now And you brought up a great point in the velocity, right? The velocity was not as high back in the 80s, but guys could sink it. They could cut it. You know, they probably didn't call it a cutter or a slurve or a sweeper or anything like that. It was just a slider. But they could control the baseball in the strike zone. The starters could, that is, a lot better. And, you know, obviously they were going deeper into games. You didn't have as nasty of a bullpen from the 6th, 7th, 8th on. Yes, closers were still really good because that was their job was to get the final three outs. But I honestly think in today's day and age, if you took, say, the Giants from last year and put them in the 80s, they would probably do pretty well. Um, I don't think movement bothers guys as much as velocity and movement does combined. So if you, if you lower the velocity down a little bit, you, know, you look at a guy like Greg Maddox. I'm not saying that any of our guys in today's day and age would hit him because with the strike zone being as wide as it was back then, nobody was going to hit him let alone anybody in the 80s or this, you know, the current year. But I really do think that they would have a chance of – they'd be a little better than 500, I think, just because you're not getting those specialized bullpens that guys do see now. Guys would generally have a little bit better chance to hit, I would have to think. Uh, I joked about it all the time that I might have played in an era a little too late for my style of game. Yeah. But I think that could be potentially what we're looking at or what we're talking about at least.
0: Yeah, that I, I and I'm I'm glad you said it's a good question because, like I said, you're my guinea pig. I was bringing it up last night, and you know, after a loss <laughs> like last night, I was a little angry. So I was trying to, you know, I was trying to fill some time. I actually, the more I think about it, it's fascinating because now what we're doing is once again we're not taking the best teams; we're taking 500 teams, and we know that 500 right. 500 teams have major warts. They've got issues. So when we talk about, like, the modern-day staff, a 500 team, they got problem with their starters. They got problem with their bullpens. They got problem scoring runs. And the same thing with the team in the 80s. I'm just wondering if all the stuff that the 80s – because the 80s teams are going to – this 81 team, 81-win team in the 80s, they're going to steal bases. They're going to hit and run. So you talk about velocity – They're going to hit you to right field constantly with that velocity. They're going to choke up with two strikes. They're going to put the ball in play. They're going to put pressure on your defense. We watch teams today do so many unfundamental things. I can just tell you things that happened in our game between the Cardinals last night that were just, who's coaching these guys? So I just wonder how that matchup would be. I think it'd be fascinating. I agree
3: with you 100%. I think it would be very fascinating. I think the hitting side of things would be a lot better. You know, like I said, I I don't think it's the movement as much as it is the velocity and the movement combined that gives hitters fits in today's day and age. So the movement minus the velocity, I think hitters would have a little better chance. But you brought up a great point. You know, the velocity, guys would be willing to shorten up, to take guys the other way. You know, I just wonder with the defensive positioning and how much analytics plays a part in that now, how much would that mess with those guys of the 80s? you know, trying to manipulate barrels and stuff like that. It's a very cool argument, and I would love to see it somehow find a way to play out.
0: Yeah, I don't know how we do that, but then again, that's why this (laughs) is – talk radio. Uh, we come up with a lot of stupid stuff that uh, sometimes yeah, actually is interesting. Yeah, that's what talk radio is all about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's to me, I, I think if you got the right teams and you looked at the players and you looked at strengths and weaknesses, we could have fun with that. I, I, I want to put you in the mindset of an A's player today because I'll get people who will say to me, man, this team's so bad. Some of these guys, you know, they have to have quit. I'm like, quit? There's nobody on this team right now other than Tony Kemp financially who I think would be okay long-term. I mean, these guys are making decent money, but they'd have to go get jobs. I want you to tell our audience the mindset of a young player who's getting his shot. He's getting, This is their dream is to play in the big leagues, to stay at the Four Seasons, the Ritz-Carlton, to be on the private plane, to play, to be the clubhouse spread, to have – like I don't think these young guys, I don't care if there's 4,000 people in the ballpark or not. This is your dream. You're getting that opportunity. So you tell me, as a young player, and if you're in Oakland A, what would you? What would be your mindset?
3: I think you would have to look at this as the land of opportunity. You're going to get plenty of chances to fail, and the, the fact that you don't have to look over your shoulder, I think, is huge. That's something that people kind of take for granted when you're on a better team. Yes. Maybe you're winning more games, but you're constantly looking over your shoulder. If you're failing, you know, they've going to make a move. They're going to make a decision on something. We need production from this standpoint or from a pitching standpoint, the Oakland A's are affording these guys opportunities to go out there and figure it out at the major league level. And one thing that people forget, especially as a player, yes, it may stink. Sometimes you get 4,000 fans, and then you have the reverse boycott when you get a sellout. And it's very difficult going from playing with a sold-out crowd where the energy is electric to then the next night having four or 5,000 fans there. But all of that aside, there are 29 other teams that are constantly watching. Yes. And the way Oakland's organizational philosophy has worked in the past, yes, they've gone into rebuild and plenty of them. Trust me, you and I have lived through a few of them now but they always seem to come out on the other side and they always seem to find ways to trade some of those best players. You know, you look at Olson, you look at Murphy. I mean, just these guys that were cornerstone key players for what we thought was going to be the next group core group coming up that found themselves on other teams. And if you weren't going about your business the right way, you may not have gotten that other opportunity. You know, you may have fizzled out and not gotten that opportunity. So I think you have to look at it as a land of opportunity And you're going to get an opportunity to fail. And that's something that not a lot of guys are afforded.
0: You know, we recently had a NL West road trip. And for our young guys like Geloff and Butler and Soderstrom and Diaz and all these guys, Langeliers and Ruiz and all these guys, Blade, I was like, man, you're getting a chance to play in San Francisco then you're going to Colorado, and Colorado had, God, thirty-six to 40,000 every single game, even though they're not very good. Then you're going to Dodger Stadium. Historic Dodger Stadium was sold out every single night. Now you're playing in St. Louis. Just how big is it for our young players to be getting this experience, to play in front of these huge crowds in these different stadiums? Just what's that experience like for them?
3: You know, sometimes you could say it. the grass is greener on the other. Again, I really think you look at it as not everywhere is like what Oakland is currently like right now. And you're getting those opportunities to play in front of those fans. Now you can test yourself, see how much you can recreate the energy that are in some of those other ballparks and almost trick yourself, so to speak, right? If you're playing at home and there may be a short crowd on hand, trying to figure out a way to make that energy level the same and not be a different player. You know, that's the key is trying to keep those highs as high as you can, but the lows, not letting them get too low, trying to keep those peaks and valleys away from each other. And that can happen, you know, when you're, you're up real big for Dodger stadium or in St. Louis at Bush stadium, you know, one night, and then you're back in Oakland the next, when it's a little different energy level, you have to figure out a way to keep that energy in your mindset, the exact same, because you don't want to be a different player. Remember, there's always 29 other teams out there watching. I hate saying that because it's true. as a core yeah. A's fan, it's true. It's true. And that's something that helps motivate guys, you know, to continue to battle through tough seasons like this.
0: A good friend of mine is Johnny Gomes. And Johnny Gomes has always said, every day you're auditioning. No matter what you do. That's exactly right. No matter what you do in life, every day is an audition. Let's end on this because – and we'll tell you so – where we are for road games, I built a TV slash radio studio, so we're on right now on camera. But we do—it's it, a multimedia show, right? So we're actually in San Jose. I, I live in San Jose. I went to San Jose State. I played Love base. It. I played baseball at San Jose State, so not far from where you grew up. So we know all about Gilroy. I just want to know, as a guy <laughs> that grew up in Gilroy, are you a garlic snob? You're damn right, I am. <laughs> I mean, that's not even, you didn't even have to finish that sentence before I could have said yes.
3: Everybody every from Gilroy,
0: everybody from Gilroy, is a, any kind of garlic and any kind of dish, they're going to tell you all about garlic. You guys are all snobs. It's like a rite of passage. It's like Napa and grapes and wine. You guys exactly. are snobs. <laughs> How many times have you busted that out at a dinner? A lot. You'd be surprised. (laughs) By the way, I just want to tell you the work that you're doing because we hear you. I'll hear you at night. I hear you on the weekends. I hear you filling in. Uh, I I think it's really, really refreshing. And we just had C. We have C.J. Nikowski on all the time because, you know, we play the Rangers and a lot. And I tell C.J., I said, you know, the fact that you get players who are now becoming media members who get to see it from the other side and you give us information, and I think you guys change a little bit too because you're now seeing it from a different perspective. I think you former players now doing this and allowed to just do it and to give your opinions. Uh, Loud Outs is a great show. I think you guys are, and I think the job that you're doing uh, is fantastic. So keep up the great work, and we'd love to have you on again soon. Well,
3: I really, really appreciate it first and foremost, and anytime you guys want me on, just give me a holler
0: all right you take care you be well thanks chris you too cole my friend it is great to have you back on a's cast live it's tough to see in the baltimore stuff because <laughs> we love you so much as an a but uh, appreciate you coming on how are you
6: i'm good i'm glad to be here i'm always happy to come on a's cast and spend time with you so it's nice to be in the coliseum again
0: well a place that i think a lot of success for you you're going to be going tomorrow but I just think about when you came over from Philadelphia, I remember we were talking about your growth and your transition to prove that you belong to pitch every five days, and you proved it here to yourself and everybody in baseball. This place has to have a special meaning to you.
6: It really does. Um, every time I come back here, I'm always, I mean, anytime I came to the field, I was always excited to to be here, be in the green and gold, and then now coming back, it's like, yeah, that, there's parts of this place that I miss and um, you know we're winning here in in, in Baltimore so there's there's part of that that's um, definitely glued to a love winning Um, but at the same time there's a lot of stuff you know I was walking around before you guys came out here walking around on FaceTime with my wife and just reminiscing about some good things that you know we were part of in the Oakland community and, and just being back in Oakland for the first time since being traded so um, you know Oakland's definitely has a special place in our heart and is definitely the place where I became a big leaguer.
0: Yeah I want to talk to you obviously about what's going on in Baltimore but just you know one more about Oakland just like the friendships and I think about the the pitching staff mm-hmm. with you and, and Mania and Bassett and Frankie Montas, just, you know, when you reminisce about how close you were with some of these guys, nobody's here anymore, but you have to think about all those guys.
6: Oh yeah, I mean, I still talk to Bassett nearly every day. Um, We're sending Instagram memes to each other and stuff. (laughs) Um, But also on top of that, you know, Uh, Sean's really hard to get a a hold of, Um, but I try to reach out to him when I can. But Frankie and I are probably the closest out of the the guys that I've been with um, and stayed connected with. Um, So, you know, just such great teams, such great camaraderie with the past two Oakland teams that I've been on. And, um, you know, there's a lot of guys in this dugout across the way that are, that I'm still friends with and um, miss dearly um, because you know you you were in the trenches together for for parts of two seasons or part of a year and um, you really learn a lot about each other. So I uh, definitely miss a lot a lot of things uh, about Oakland, um, especially the sports support staff. Um, man, the, the amount of hugs I've, I've given out already uh, to all the support staff from the. Um, training room to the clubbies to just about everyone um, in that clubhouse. Um, there, I actually do miss them um, for everything they
0: they uh, let me do. We actually tracked down Shamaniah during the Giants Series. We actually had him wow. on the show. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's like Sasquatch. Yeah, it's, it's it's. He's
6: it's a rare sighting.
0: He let's just say great <laughs> one of the greatest guys. And he was fabulous when you got him, but let's just say he wasn't on Ace Cast or the pregame show a lot. Right, Right. yeah. You, Bassett, everybody came out. It was hard to get Sean Minaj, even Frankie. Once Frankie was cool with doing, uh, without the interpreter, Frankie came out. He was always, Manah was always uh, a, a yeah. tough one to track down. He was great once you tracked him down, but he was tough. Let's talk about the Orioles that, here you go, man. So, in our world, of the AL East, where it's always Yankees, Red Sox, the little Rays team, Baltimore's been getting its you-know-what kick for years, and all of a sudden, here we are. You get traded in, you guys are in first place. Yankees are under 500, Red Sox are in fourth place. You've overtaken the Rays after a historic start. Just like, what has this ride been like?
6: Uh, It's been pretty amazing and that that all extends all the way back to spring training. Um, This group was very youthful coming in um, and a lot of it reminded me of our of the of the 21 team that i was a part of here in oakland just the camaraderie the closeness how quickly we got together and started playing together as a group and actually caring about each other Um, that's what makes good teams win and there's a lot of that in our clubhouse um, day to day Um, a lot of guys care about what what's going on in um, guys personal lives um, to their philanthropy work Um, you know kyle Kyle gibson had a top golf event and I think more than half the team showed up um, in support of Kyle's event and uh, that donated to the local community of Baltimore um, food drives and and, um, some other situations that the group worked with Um, so it's just amazing that this team um, is so close in that way we all work together we all want to be a part of each other's lives in some capacity and um, a lot of lifelong friendships being created um, in this clubhouse and there's The other thing was like there was already that established uh, camaraderie because a lot of these young guys came up together, played together and knew what made each other tick. So it wasn't that much of a transition when they got to the big leagues. And um, and uh, Adley Rushman is is the real deal. So, uh, <laughs> no, same with Gunner, Gunner <laughs> Henderson as well. Jeez, I mean, I could go on about our the rest of our team, yeah. but uh, but I mean, those guys are a real deal. Watching them play every day is a lot of fun. Um, the work ethic for how for how young they are um, is is definitely every bit of the word professional.
0: You know, it's so interesting. I've been talking about it with with this young core with the A's, and I say, you know what? And Baltimore is a great example. It's okay if a young group comes out and gets their ass kicked every single. They're going to learn from it. They're going to grow from it. And there is no question getting beat up every single year in the AL East, getting beat up in the minor leagues, that this young core has really come together. And it's so funny when you talk about great teams. It took you a while before you even got to the talent. You talked about how close the team was first.
6: Yeah, and that speaks to that speaks to just this clubhouse, this this team as a whole. It, it truly is the definition of team and working together night to night, day in and day out to uh, do whatever the job is to get it done. And sometimes the nights don't go your way, and then that next day it's nothing happened the previous day. It's it's just a fresh slate. Um, guys are ready to come compete uh, every night at the ballpark, and it's it's a lot of fun to be a part of.
0: Rushman. I mean, you talk about, I mean, the talent, obviously, to be catcher, switch hitter and all that. But the leadership that he brings at such a young age, I mean, he's the leader of this team that is now the top in the AL East, the big bad AL East. Just what is he like? He's,
6: uh, first off, I think Adley, um, a lot of Adley's beliefs and stuff, you know, go unnoticed. And um, he's very humble um which i think first and foremost stood out to me the most uh he he truly cares about you know each guy on the on the on the team and, and pitching staff importantly um but i think i was surprised with how humble and how um devoted to his work he is um and just he's just very simple He's just day-to-day he's makes it easy and and he's really easy to get along with um there, there is no ego with adley and so it's it's a you lot realize of realize
0: you're talking about an oregon state guy
6: i do and I'm wearing, painful, I'm wearing i'm wearing black and orange too okay so there is part of that that is a is little difficult painful? there is a little <laughs> bit of difficulty there uh but you know what he uh Going into my last start in Seattle, uh, you know, a bunch of Oregon State fans were there for him uh, and then yelling about, you know, how much I suck and how much I (laughs) went to Oregon. Um, So long story short, uh, long story short, uh, Adley made a joke. He's like, he's with us now, even though he wore duck colors. He's with us now. (laughs) And and after that, I kind of laughed and he kind of made it, you know, whatever Whatever that guy was saying, it was it was awesome. So he just made it easy for me. It was uh, Adley's been great. He makes things light um, with everyone, and he definitely knows the personality of, of each of each pitcher out there.
0: Well, you know we're gonna ask you about the Pac-12 because we know how much it means to you. <laughs> how important is it? Like, I haven't really thought about it, but we're starting to get ready for college football. As my San Jose State Spartans are taking on USC first game, yeah. week zero. So we're hoping to end the last year. Of SC in the Pac-12 in a miserable way, but uh, <laughs> how bad do you want to win the Pac-12 in the last year of maybe Pac-12 football?
6: I think mean, I honestly, from a Pac-12 standpoint, you want to win that last one to be the yeah. Uh, but you know, I, it's funny because my grandfather played in the Pac-8. I played in the played in the Pac-12, and um, so you know, the, the Pac has a little bit of a special place in my family life um so it's gonna be tough to see the Pac-12 go um but I will say being able to go up to Maryland and watch the Ducks or Trojans you know take on take on Maryland will be a lot of fun um it'll be a little Rutgers, bit closer yeah Rutgers, Rutgers I might not Indiana. go to I'll definitely probably go to Ohio State or Michigan you know those those games so um it'll be a lot of fun I'm I'm, I'm excited to see um some bigger football, maybe it helps with recruiting too. I I, I haven't really thought about too much in depth of how it affects all the other sports. I know it's travel wise, it's going to be a pain in the butt for all the baseball programs uh, to travel coast to coast. But you know what, a lot of those guys that I played with when I was in college, we all have the same goal in mind and is, you know, win obviously college, but try to get to the next level. So uh, maybe it prepares some guys a little bit more for for professional ball, and I uh, guess I'm excited for that life.
0: Well, I know they say all the time when a former player comes back, and they say, "Hey, we're rooting for you." Just not this week, and not true. I'm always going to root for you because you that. were so good to us as we've grown this thing, and it's gotten bigger and bigger, and we've become number one in all Major League Baseball. You were definitely a part of it when you came over. I remember the first time we interviewed you, you were back home, you were about to go go go-karting, you were in your car (laughs) on video. Uh, I can't say enough for the time that you gave us and always being there for us. So no matter, I don't care who you're pitching against. I'll always be rooting for you. Thank you, for seriously, sure. from the bottom of my heart. Everything you did for us here at A's Cast and A's
1: Cast Live.
6: Yeah, thanks for having me. And again, you guys have always treated me great, and um, really enjoyed being on the show. Always, anytime you guys asked, I was always loving coming on because I know we'd have a little, little banter uh, for football and uh, among among other things. Had you know, you guys are so insightful and think about every everything that goes into our game um, and aren't just you know solely focused on, on A's but um, it's really cool what you guys do and how you guys go about um, your interviews so uh, it's been a lot of fun to be a part of and um, last thing for Oakland fans uh, just know that Oakland has a special place in my heart and uh, I miss you guys and um, I'm with you guys every step of the way uh, throughout your guys' process and um, everything that's been going on so um, I got your guys' back.
0: He's the man right here on AceCast cast and AceCast cast Live. Kirby, good to see you. How are you? Good, good. Doing well. Kirby Seed with us here. A's cast live from the Treehouse. Now, you guys are always out there shagging <laughs> out there during BP, and you know and you've heard about this Treehouse. Now you get to yeah. see what's rocking up yeah. here.
7: It's it's sick, man. I, I First time, obviously, but uh, I've seen it through video and pictures, but to see it in real life is, is pretty sweet.
0: Yeah, you know, the thing is, it's like you guys end up coming up, it's too bad you can't partake. Maybe one day Maybe one we got to yeah. get you up here and yeah. partake. Number one thing for you, for me, how does it feel to be healthy?
7: Uh, it feels great, man. Uh, you know, this, this this spring was my first real injury in baseball in general, you know, from the time I was five years old until now. I never really missed any time in a season with an injury. So uh, I think just trying to take it day by day really was just the main focus. Um you know, I, I really was just – the whole time I just want to get out there as quick as possible, but, you know, obviously my body wasn't letting me. So, I think just trying to, you know, take the proper steps to, you know, get back here. And, obviously, I'm back and just ready to help us win some games before the season ends.
0: Yeah, you end up learning some things about yourself when you're out, when the game is taken away from of course, you. yeah. What were the things that you did learn about yourself?
7: Um, I think just trying to clean up delivery-wise a little bit. You know, I think um, – I think last year, you know, I think I was just trying to learn the game and and just learn, you know, what what life was like up here in the big leagues. And I think uh, just taking little steps here and there, you know, nothing drastic, but just little cues here and there that just helped me, you know, mentally and physically, just both trying to just, you know, get better on and off the field. Obviously, I wasn't going to be on the field for a while. So I think just trying to, you know, learn more about myself and how I do things and how I approach hitters and how I approach the game, I think just, you know, just sitting obviously i had a lot of time on my hands so just you know taking it as much in as i can while i was out just trying to you know obviously when i got back here just be ready to go
0: i like that you better yourself mentally yeah that's huge yeah man and
7: you've seen (laughs) it paying
0: off for you i
7: do yeah you know i think the thing is was uh you know with last year you know obviously getting traded over here i think there was a lot of days i put a lot of pressure on myself to perform instead of just going out there and trying to you know Obviously, it sounds cliche, but just try to have fun, you know, trying to go out there and just get out. And I think I was trying to, you know, I was creating scenarios in my head that weren't even there, you know. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so I think just trying to, you know, take it day by day, like I said, and just enjoy it, you know, really just enjoy it, you know. Uh, um, yeah, that's it.
0: Talk about how when you do get traded, it's like a different deal. Like, you get raised in a certain organization, yeah. and then all of a sudden you come and it's all new teammates, it's all new coaches, it's all new coaches. Just talk about that process of kind of reproving yourself
7: in a way. Yeah, no, that's definitely what it was, reproving myself. Um, You know, I was with the Blue Jays from 2016 on until last year, and then, uh, you know, I built my way up with them, and, and, you know, I had a lot of good uh, relationships and just people that I, you know, really enjoyed being around over there. And then, you know, one day I go to the field, and they tell me that I'm heading to Oakland. Uh, You know, and that morning I woke up in Florida. I spent the night in Arizona, so... And, uh, you know, I think, I think the main thing is just staying true to myself, really. You know, obviously we have a lot of great people over here that I in, truly enjoy being around. So it, it was an easy transition with that. But uh, I think, like you said, just trying to reprove myself. I think just that, that added pressure of trying to reprove myself, you know, when really there was no, you know, they just wanted me to come over here and do my thing. So I think I'm, I'm slowly getting back to that. But, uh, you know, I'm just happy with the opportunity that they gave me
0: katsai just did the talk to you guys about finishing strong finishing the season getting across that finish line yep. you had the nice game obviously in uh in st louis to close it out just uh, what do you think that 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 message
7: sent to you guys and how was it received i think it was received well you know it's been a long season for a lot of people um you know especially me just with the injury and everything uh just for me to be playing right now obviously is great like I'm so excited you know just to finish this season healthy and but you know I I can only speak for myself but I think I think as a group you know trying to finish this season as strong as we can is important just for building a culture next year you know Um, just trying to go out there and do the best we can obviously each day and but um, you know I I think you know for me I think just trying everyone to like become a group more you know there's a lot of times during the season where you're focused on individual goals and individual things but um, I think the main thing that we need to do is just come together and play as a team and you know I think everything will take care of itself when we do that.
0: Geloff, Butler, Soderstrom, all the young guys for you watching these young you were a young guy at one point watching these guys what's it like?
7: You know, I came up with uh, Vlad and Bo and Cavan and all those guys with the Jays. And I think that this group is is just as talented as those guys. You know, I think um, just watching them play in A for the weeks that I was there, you know, it's a special group, no doubt. And I think that uh, the way they approach the game is, is you know, it's pretty mature for a 23 year old. You know, when I was 23, I, you know, I was still, still in the minors learning it you know, they're here, they're, they're here and they're, they're proving themselves. And so I think, I think it's just only going to get better from there. You cut the hair. I did. <laughs>
0: like how tough was that? Cause people, got, it's your hair.
7: Oh yeah. So the, the main thing that I tell, like the day I cut it, the next day was when I got hurt in spring. So I, I kind of, everyone says I lost my strength a little bit, but um, you know, I, I loved, I loved the hair, but I, I, I don't know if I'll grow it back out again. It's just too much time, too much work. How long um, did that take? Yeah, so the COVID year was pretty much when I, I – it, it always been decently long, but the COVID year was when I really just grew it out. Yeah. And then 21 with the Blue Jays. I grew it out, and then last year just kept it rolling. Uh, and I kind of kept it for AJ last year, and then he left. So I was just like, oh, okay, well, I, I, I might as well cut it now. By so, the way,
0: speaking of, uh, as a Florida Gator and an SEC yeah. guy – This whole college thing's getting
7: crazy. It's crazy, man. Yeah. Yeah. Texas
0: and Oklahoma are at the
7: SEC. Oh, yeah. It's going to be crazy, man. I I can't wait.
0: Who would have ever thought, like, you think, like, traditional, like, a Tennessee, a Georgia, a Florida, Alabama. Hey, you got – it was already weird, Texas A&M being in. How weird is it going to be Florida Gator baseball in a conference series against
7: Oklahoma? Oh, it's going to be crazy, man. I – that's the main thing is like the baseball, basketball, you know, all those young, I mean, football, you know, they, they have enough money to, to, you know, on the TV, but I think all the other sports, it's going to be a crazy schedule, man. And I think it's, obviously it's good for the, for the conference, you know, uh, as much exposure as you can get, you know, the SEC is a great conference to play in and, and to get, you know, to any next level you want to play at. But, um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I just, I grew up a huge Gator fan, so I'm just excited to see where it goes, but you know, who knows?
0: Great stuff. I appreciate uh, it. No problem.
7: This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.